Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog, and joining me today, my first uh, two guest podcast. We've got the returning John Lamoureux of The Hustle and Brian Lennon of the Permanent Record Podcast. How are you guys doing? So good. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's great to have you both here. It's funny. We were both connect- I was connected to both of you doing the six packs on pods and sods. And now we're kind of collaborating on our own episode. And I think that's really cool. I love how that kind of brought us all together. That was a really cool thing that introduced me to a lot of other podcasters. So I got to shout out Craig and Eric right up top just for kind of introducing us. Well, and someone has to keep that flame lit since Eric's pushed out and Craig only talks about fish and the monkeys so <laughs> some of us have to you know keep the ball rolling somehow yeah we got we got to keep the little click alive but yeah. uh yeah t- we're here today to talk about a very unique band in my musical history um i think most people know me as a hard rock guy but i listen to a lot of music outside of hard rock and one band i got into as a kid that my dad introduced me to that was way outside of my usual scope of things was culture club and I kind of had a bit of a resurgence in my fandom this year with seeing them live for the first time. And when I started posting about it, both of you interacted with me and I was like, and I kind of got the little bug in my ear, you should do a culture club episode. And I was, at first I was kind of like, ah, that might be a little outside of my scope. But then I thought about it. I'm like, I started the show to do whatever I wanted. So I'm going to do a culture club episode. So here we are. Um, right we're going to talk about one of the best pop groups of the eighties and one of the best front men in music. I think one of the best voices in music. So Let's get right into it. Starting with our origin stories. Uh, John, why don't you go first? Tell me how you got into Culture Club. I mean, I did probably the same time as everyone else did. Um, 1982, I believe, 83, whenever Kissing to be Clever is starting to take off and Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And I think I think about this a lot, actually, because I don't, I don't think George especially gets enough credit for changing the culture the way he did obviously for lgbt people and specifically but the fact that someone as freaky as him uh could become an icon in america it's one thing in europe or in the uk but to be able to conquer america being that guy is a miracle and i don't think he gets enough credit for that i'm talking and i i sound hyperbolic i don't mean to but i'm talking like rock and roll hall of fame level credit for being the trendsetter and the culture shifter that he was and so yeah i was nine years old i was a kid who was listening to pop radio and seeing this guy on solid gold and hearing these songs and liking them and being confused by what i was seeing but it didn't the gay stuff or the trans stuff or the whatever you want to cross dress it, whatever you, the term was back then that we used, none of it occurred to me. I just thought this guy is so interesting and this band is interesting. And these songs are great. And uh, we, I've never seen anything like this before, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've always thought about too. Like what a time for him to come out. Like, you know, I, I've, I always said the eighties is one of my favorite musical decades, but one thing I've realized as I've gotten, old, gotten older is, wow, the 80s was really actually a conservative time. So for him to come out then, you're right, that was a big, mm-hmm. big deal, especially to break out the way he did and sell like, you know, millions and millions of albums like they did. Like, I think that Color by Numbers album sold something like 10 million worldwide, like really fast. It's insane. But yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, Brian, when did you get in? 
Uh, before I tell you that, I just want to say that I think it's really cool that you are, you said you're going outside of your comfort zone to talk about Culture Club, but I'm sure you know this. One of the great things is that when they first formed, George said, we should call ourselves Culture Club because we have a gay Irish singer. We have a blonde white guitarist. We have a black bass player and a Jewish drummer. We're, we're made up of everything. So we should be a culture club. And I'm sure that George would get a kick out of the fact that, you know, behind you on that CD shelf is probably Warrant and Y&T and yeah. Culture Club, you know, on the same shelf. So that's true. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it is kind of kind of weird for me to go back and think about how I got into Culture Club, because it's just been for so long understood in my brain that a huge part of who I am musically stems from my love of Culture Club. And I, I sometimes forget, I actually did forget that I actually didn't like them at first. Um, the whole time that Kissing to be Clever was out, I had no interest them, in them. In fact, I was sort of upset at them because in the Grammy Awards for 84, they beat my favorite band, Men Without Hats, for Best New Artist. I was, oh. I was outraged because I was all about Men Without Hats. Uh, the first, first two albums that came out here, Rhythm of Youth and Folk of the 80s, they they were my focus. And Culture Club is just this band that screwed Ivan out of his, his Grammy Award. <laughs> and so then Color by Numbers came out, and I still didn't really like them. I was still angry. And in a weird, a weird twist, it actually took the fact that my dad liked Culture Club to get me to like it. My dad came home with like the 45 for Karma Chameleon, and he was like, I heard the song on the radio, and I liked it. So he played it around the house, and I started to dig it. And then I guess I let go of my hostility over Men Without Hats, and I embraced that second album. So um, then I went back and got the first one after a while. But um, it was that, you know, like most people, I guess, most here in America, it was that second album, the one that's chock full of hits that won me over to their side. I, I will say one quick story. I remember I got the first, I got Kissing to be Clever, that record, I think I got it for Easter, maybe. And uh, I remember my dad waking me up for school the next morning by playing the record really loud on the, on the <laughs> stereo. And uh, so that was fun. And I, and I have a memory of like some friends at school being, you know, on the playground or whatever. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen this band? Have you seen how weird they are? And um, driving across the Bay Bridge in the Bay Area to go either into San Francisco or home from San Francisco. And do you really want to hurt me coming on and being in my parents' car and hearing afterwards the DJ say that was a culture club and realizing that's the band that all this buzz is about. And it, like I said, being nine years old. Anyway, good memories. That's a really cool story. I love it. Uh, Brian, kind of similar to you, my beginning started with my dad, uh, but I'm, I'm a little younger than both of you. So uh, my story starts, I think I want to say around 2005, 2006, it was whenever Virgin started pushing out that new greatest hits collection. Um, uh, my dad is mostly into stuff like, you know, rats and Dokken and Kiss and stuff like that. And my, I grew up on a dairy farm and my, what my dad would do with his old cassettes, you know, after he switched to CDs, he would play the cassettes in the milk barn while they would milk cows. So when I would hang out with my dad, I would hear stuff like Rats Out of the Cellar, um, Kisses, Animal Eyes, albums like that. Mm -hmm. And then one day I remember coming out to the barn, like, cause if there was a new release that came out that he wanted to listen to the barn, he would make, he would tape it onto a blank cassette and play it out there. And he pops in this cassette and this 
music that is a lot different than what I'm used to starts coming out. It was Karma Chameleon. It was like <laughs> kind of twangy a little bit and there was harmonica. And I, and I was kind of like, what's going on? Where, where's the cars? Where's sticks? Like, let, let, like I asked, I'm like, dad, who is this? He goes, oh, this is the culture club. And it just kind of stuck out to me, but I kept listening and the songs just kept getting more and more interesting as they went on. So then I was like, okay, can I borrow the CD? And he let me the greatest hit CD and I listened to it and I got really, really into them. And then VH1 Classic did this thing uh, where there was also a DVD that came out at the time. It was just called Culture Club's Greatest Hits. And that DVD had a concert on it called A Kiss Across the Ocean. And VH1 Classic was going to air it at like something like nine or 10 at night, which is like my bedtime. So my dad actually set up a VHS to tape it for me so I could watch it the next day. And watching that show was really what made me a fan. Watching Boy George and, you know, Ray, Michael and Roy and John play together. Like they were a very energetic band and I'd never seen anybody like Boy George on stage. And it was very commanding and there was a lot of dancing. It was very different music from like the guitar rock I was into, but I was really sucked in. And I was also really drawn in by his voice. No one really sang like that. It was very, he has a very like gentle, but commanding voice. Like it never feels like too soft, even though it's like, it's soft as goose feathers when it, when it wants to be, it's really, something amazing so i was really drawn into that and i got so obsessed with this concert i would just play it over and over again eventually my morning routine before i went to school was i would pop that vhs in and i start playing it again much too like at first it was funny but then my mom was like again like 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 <laughs> karma chameleon again <laughs> like yep like it, it it got to a point where like i think if you put the tape in now like it would shake because I, I i basically wore it down it was i was just so into it and then my dad got the box set that came out around that time too. And I started like digging into the demos and the solo stuff. And I just, it always stuck with me. Like I would always come back to them every few years. I would like pull the music out and listen to it again. I always kept it like to see if there was something, you know, new coming. Like I hear about Boy George on the news. Like I remember actually hearing about when uh, he got arrested for uh, holding that guy hostage and being kind of bummed mm -hmm. about that. Like, like, and I remember when he kind of came back with uh, this is what I do. So like, I kind of started following them after after that and I always kept an eye on things and I just stayed a fan and at, over time I went back and I listened to all the records in full and it was just always music that stuck with me it was always really good well-crafted pop music and uh just yeah I, I can't say enough good things about it I'm a big fan of the band especially Boy George uh as a vocalist I always kind of when I would sing I would strive to kind of emulate some of the things he did so yeah that's kind of my my story Al uh, Alex, did you just say when you sing, you strive to sound like Boy George? I, some of the things he does, like the vibrato. And I want to see, I want to hear this or see this. <laughs> I want to see a clip of this sometime. Someday I will uh, record my I got to take pictures. you to do karaoke and you can sing Karma Chameleon. <laughs> I right. would love that. I'm in. I'm, I'm in time and place. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. okay. It, it's cool that you focused in on that concert, that Kiss, Kiss Across the Ocean, right? That's the name yep. of it? Mm -hmm. because one of my first memories of being really into the band was there was a time when I was, a, I was a kid when my parents would often go out with my aunt and uncle to a concert in the DC area, I would get left at home. Um, <laughs> but I would get to pick a video, go to rent a video at the video place. And then I get to watch that movie or two based on how long they were going to be gone. And the one time that they were going, they had that concert to rent. Oh. So I was super excited. I got it. And then they, my dad hooked up two VCRs together so I could dub a copy as I watched it. So much like yes. you, when I got home from that trip, I would I would watch that concert quite a bit. And that was a really good show. 
was so, so good. That was the first time I heard some of the deep cuts, like Mr. Man and Love Twist. Yeah, yeah. just so, so crazy. And then the, the one thing that always tripped me out at the end of it was uh, they start to do that song Melting Pot, which is a cover. Right. And uh, they roll the credits and you never get to hear the whole thing. And it always frustrated me as a kid because I could never find that song until I found the remastered copy of Color by Numbers. They stuck it on there as a bonus track. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, I wanted to touch on a few other points before we go album by album. That's what we're going to do here tonight. Um, specifically, Boy George kind of being, there's no denying he's the face of the band. He's a, very much a superstar in his own right. He's very entertaining, like just as an interview as watching him on him on stage he's very funny very witty uh he's his personality kind of draws you in would you guys say you agree with that absolutely um he's always so much fun he's very self-deprecating which is great and he's fun because he still loves music and he loves talking about music and he typically talks about the music that i love things like bowie and t-rex and glam rock and stuff like that and the effect that had on him so yeah, whenever I see that he's being interviewed somewhere, he, I, my ears perk up because he's just so entertaining, so fun. He's a delight. And that was part of the, the worst part of living through the 1986 to 1989 era when he was really, really in bad shape because yeah. he went from being like a delightful interview to somebody you would love to see to somebody who was a, a disaster. And that's when that fourth album came out. That's all the coverage it got was just... Here's examples of how bad Boy George is now. And the fact that he was so delightful made it even more painful to have to watch that happen. It was disturbing. Good point. He's very much like a phoenix. He rose from the ashes, I think, multiple times throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, have, have, have either of you read it, uh, either of his books? Because I was I just noticed those were a thing recently, and I probably need to read those. But I did. I read them both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, they, are they very good? They're very entertaining. If, if you want to go learn a lot about the music and the process of the songwriting, you're not going to learn that, but you're <laughs> going to learn a lot of stuff about the, the figures that were important at the start of the new wave and the new romantic movement. And you'll get lots of gossipy stuff about Steve Strange and Pete Burns, things like that. Um, <laughs> so I, I enjoy them both. I have one of them, but I've never read it. I keep meaning to. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I seem like I would at least be entertained by it, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned I saw them live this year for the first time, and that was a that was an incredible experience. I've been waiting to see them a long time, and I was absolutely blown away. Uh, just a, a mess of hits and a bunch of good new songs. Uh, I'm assuming have you, either of you seen them live, uh, either solo, Boy George, or with Culture Club? I've seen Culture Club twice, and both has been in the last few years or so. I saw Culture Club on their own at like a botanic garden here in Denver, probably seven or eight years ago. And it was great. It was so great. And then I saw them again. Maybe you guys did too. It was, I think they were the headliners, B-52s and Tom Bailey. Mm. They were all on one bill in like a big outdoor amphitheater here. And um, that show was great too, but you know, that's a much bigger deal. And we're a lot further from the stage. The one in the botanic garden was just beautiful. And we're, and I'm, you know, 15 feet away or whatever. Nice. Yeah. I meant to see that tour, but uh, I had something happen in my life where I just couldn't, I couldn't make that show. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was unfortunate, but I, yeah, I just saw him this year for the first time. Brian, what about you? I've seen culture club thrice, three times. I saw that tour that John just mentioned, but the B 52s weren't there that night. It was at the stone pony. The stone pony has like an outdoor stage right at the beach. So it was just Tom Bailey and, and culture club. I saw, I saw culture club in Atlantic city about two years before 
Life came out and they did songs from from that album. Mm-hmm. Sort of like Alex just saw new songs that aren't aren't out anywhere. We yeah. saw songs from Life that weren't out yet. And, and I remember some of them sounding really different than what we ultimately got on the album. So that was a cool show. And then one of the best shows I ever saw was three days before I got married, all the way back in 1989, August of 1989. I saw Howard Jones, the Human League and Culture Club all in the same bill. And uh, it was fantastic. It it was people were so into it. They ended the show. Oh, when we were talking before we started recording, I said, I know I've seen another cover that was awesome and I couldn't think of it. Part of the encore was Starman, the David Bowie song Starman. People went nuts. It it. was crazy. So um, that was that was an awesome show. And then I saw the this is what I do solo tour. Okay, I don't you um, not to make this about me for a second, but a recent episode we put out was with uh, an author named Nick Durden, who wrote this one of the best music books I've ever read called Exit Stage Left about what people what what artists do when their careers are over, just like what our podcast is about. And he talked about that tour. He talked about how each one of those bands individually would only fill a small space with a few hundred people, but you put them all on one ticket. And he mentioned Howard Jones, Human League, and Boy George, because he covered that exact show back in 1989 or whatever it was. And 20,000 people would show up. Wow. That's crazy. I, di- I didn't know about that 1989 reunion until recently. That's, that's insane. Yeah. And nothing really came of that, right? Like that, that 1989 reunion, that was just kind of a few, like a few shows and that was it, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, then he went and did uh, Jesus Loves You or the Martyr Mantras. Cool. I think they were sort of, uh, maybe we'll get to this, but I feel like that Behind the Music episode, which I think had to have been one of the first ones, maybe Millie Vanilli was first and they were second or vice versa, is was the catalyst of them sort of becoming a thing again and being taken seriously again. It's weird to say that, that 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 show, I mean, that was a great series. I think we would all agree, but especially out of the gate like that, when, you know, no one had seen the show before or knew what these documentaries were going to be and have that take off like it did. I feel like they, I mean, they would still probably be where they are today, but that particular episode and the success of that is what I think catapulted them into back into being in the consciousness and that's kind of what brought them back together. That's what made Don't Mind If I Do happen and everything else after that. I think part of the reason that late 90s, 1999 era reunion didn't ultimately come to much is because of the fact that that album, Don't Mind If I Do, regardless of how awesome it is, because it's awesome, it didn't do very well at all. The first single was a respectable hit, but after that, nothing else really charted high and the album didn't chart very high. So I think they just probably decided... This is not the time. Well, I don't think that album was even released in the States. It was not. No, nope. yeah. Which makes no sense. I mean, I was just reading a review of that album today, and they were like, it's such a mystery why they would not have released this in the States when 80s nostalgia is really high, and people have just seen this behind the music and really gotten back into the band. That's what catapulted this. Why would they not have done that? I don't know. Makes no sense. Yeah, that, that's, no. that's a very strange move for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next point is I want to touch on, of course, the music itself, which is what we're here to talk about. Um, one thing I love about it is it's just a blend of different sounds. Like there's straight up pop in there. There's a little bit of funk. There's a little bit of R&B. There's a little bit of reggae in the music. And I think that's, you know, the name is appropriate again, Culture Club, all the sound kind of coming together. And that was one thing that really perked up my ears was like, 
kind of that you know reggae drum beat you know was something I hadn't heard before uh like was this like music like when you guys heard it you wouldn't like kind of explored something that sounded similar to that like did this get either of you into reggae it didn't really work that way for me because I never really got into much reggae but what about for you guys no it never prompted me to explore reggae at all unfortunately it's just the only reggae in my collection is what's on the culture club albums and the little <laughs> bit that's on the boy george albums so i mean I, i'd like most of it on the culture club album but never never broadened my horizons brian i need to make you a ub40 mix <laughs> oh yeah see to me they're just that band that covers other people's songs well yeah but they do it well and they have a lot of their own good stuff too this hurts my heart brian well, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't saying that as an insult to them. I was oh, just I saying, like, I, I don't know any of their original songs. I the only songs I know I, are, are the covers. Yeah, I got to help you with this. Okay. Um, I would say, no, it didn't, only because I was too young to yeah. really have, you know, I'm nine, 10. This is, this stuff's hitting me hard between the ages of like nine and 13. I was too young to really know to expand any further. It might be, I, I mean, now I almost appreciate that stuff more now than I did back then. Hearing, pop songs with steel drums and reggae, you know, uh, guitar scratches and, and strings and, and gospel choirs and Boy George's soulful voice. I mean, make, like you said, mixing all that stuff in a stew, I can appreciate that so much more now than I did back then. That's probably why I still love them. It's because they're, they've got so many different cultural things going on within them. Absolutely. I think one of the, the, the ones that like kind of shocked me the most as a kid was hearing Love Twist, the studio version for the first time with Captain Crucial and all that like slap back, uh, like dub noises going on. And they're like doing that rap that you really can't understand. That <laughs> Like I, I, I tried for years to figure out what they're saying. I had to have a lyric sheet with me and like read it out one, one, at one point to figure out what they were saying. But yeah, that was one that really stuck out to me. I was like, you know, what is this? It's so cool. Nice. That was one I never played too much. I think that was at the end of side one of my old cassette. And I, I think when I got to track four, I would usually fast forward and start over <laughs> with side two. <laughs> that was always a favorite of mine. That's funny. <laughs> nice. Well, let's get into the band history real quick before we get into the records. Uh, so Boy George got his start singing with Bow Wow Wow in 1981 under the name Lieutenant Lush. But eventually he left that to form Culture Club. Uh, like you said, Brian named for the diversity in the band with Michael Craig on bass, Roy Hay on guitar, and... John Moss on drums, Helen Torrey would kind of become, I'd say, like a unofficial member later on down the line. I think also we should sing her praises real quick on those albums. Like her voice, definitely. George's, she was a great vocal yeah. foil for him. Like even I remember watching that concert again and just like going, wow, like why, why wasn't she a member, like official member of the band? Because like she's doing as much as George is. That's exactly so, my feeling. Yeah. yeah so crazy. Uh, the group recorded demos for EMI, but they were ultimately rejected. Virgin ended up hearing those demos and ended up signing them. Uh, so around, let's see, released October 4th, 1982 in the UK, December 13th, 1982 in the US, there was a Kissing to be Clever, the first of three albums produced by Steve Levine.
Kind of starts to establish that classic you know pop reggae culture club sound uh the first two uk singles flopped they were white boy and i'm afraid of me uh i do love both those songs but uh do you really want to hurt me is what rocketed them into the stratosphere it stays at number two on the charts for like three weeks and that's followed by time and i'll tumble for you um i think this is a really solid debut album uh it's a gr it's a great place to start uh white boy's a highlight i love twist like i said that's one of my favorites uh, this one's a little more, I think, synthy than the second one, like uh, which we'll get into later. Uh, but really solid release, uh, definitely a great starting point, and the one that kind of started the intrigue in the band. Uh, John, what do you think of "Kissing to Be Clever"? Um, I think it's great. I think uh, if we're going to pick, you know, favorite songs off each album, "I'll Tumble for You" is probably my favorite on this. I think that's still just as infectious and fun and bubbly as it was back then. It hasn't lost anything. I feel a little guilty saying this, having just had the producer, Steve Levine, on my show, but I, I feel like there is a, I feel like the production on these first few albums is a little bloodless, I guess is the word. It just could use a little more heft. There's something sort of weak or chintzy about it. And as I say that, I'm not knocking Steve or the band or anything. I think they did the best they could with probably what, production tools and technology was available at that time but their later albums like life and uh don't mind if i do sound so full-bodied they sound powerful they don't sound weak or you know homemade or anything like that so i they only got better from here well that's not true the next album got better from here um but it's a great way it's a great way to start absolutely brian what do you think so this album is not one of my favorites. I would probably say this is my least favorite Culture Club album. What? Um, oh, we're going to get into it, buddy. Hot, <laughs> hot take from Brian right away. Oh, my god. We're a half gosh. hour in. Holy shit. <laughs> now, I do want to wish it a happy 40th birthday. It's turning 40 this year. And I saw in Classic Pop Magazine, George did say they have some things planned for later in the year. So hopefully to help celebrate it. So hopefully that'll still happen. Um, I love the song White Boy. You mentioned that that was the first single. It didn't chart at all. That, that was a good song. I think my main problem with this, other than the, the reggae influences that are on a lot of the songs, is I just was never impressed with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Hmm. Um, even when I grew to, <laughs> to love Culture Club and 
just wanted to listen to them all all the time. That that was a song that I just it's too repetitive. It's too too much of that reggae sound. I think Time Clock of the Heart is one of the greatest pop singles ever written. Totally agree. And to me, that's the highlight of the album. It's um, not on the album, not the original album. No. Oh, right. Correct. Um, it was on my old cassette, but it's not on my CD that I have now. Um, so I, I love that song. It was kept from number one by uh, Flashdance. What a feeling. There's so many, so many great culture club things that stall out at number two. Time didn't make it to number one. You mentioned that. Do you really want to hurt me? Um, peaked at number two. Do you know what kept that one from number one? Probably Michael Jackson. Billy Jean. Yeah, it was Billy Jean. Yeah. Oh, yes. Good one, Alex. Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> well, I, I will agree with you, Brian, that of the three uh, Steve Klein albums, this might be the one I go to the least, uh, but it, I do think it's really good. I wouldn't call it my least favorite. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I would say my favorite on this one, I'm, I'm going to go with a deep cut just because it fascinated me so much when I was growing up. It's still it's something I spent a lot. I'm going to go with Love Twist. Footsteps, movements, finding people Comes to the forbidden soul Twisting words to find a reason How am I supposed to throw Questions that I cannot answer Watch those boys, they dance and go Hung up like the rules that made them pick is uh i'll tumble for i'll you. tumble for you it would be time if time were on this album but brian misled you a minute ago it is not <laughs> well like i said it was on my cassette when i was a kid right so that's true that's true. that's what i consider official it's on my CD, so, so. it is yeah yeah i have the bonus tracks oh wow okay yeah, i don't know it. if you'll be able to i don't know if you'll be able to see it but my cd is is ugly yeah i can't get it to show because i have a oh, there oh, it is the, oh yeah the original yeah. one the black and white cover the black one yeah with the, uh, it almost looks like a pencil drawing of them. Yeah, I don't like it. But I'm since neither. it's since it's my least favorite of their albums, I said I'll just live with it. Okay, what's what's your what's going to be your pick from this one, Brian? For best song? Yep. That would be "Time Clock of the Heart" without a doubt. Thank you. 
and uh, does, okay. it, does anybody have? If a, you're gonna if you're gonna force me to pick another one, I would say <laughs> that it is. Uh, I'll go with John. It's got to be I'll tumble for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. And does does anybody have a least favorite? I already revealed mine earlier. You did, yeah. Much to my disappointment. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that. That's all right. I'm Probably get... you know I'm not crazy. Maybe that talk about repetitive. That one just. Yeah that 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 was a yeah that's a bit of a repetitive song. Where's that? It's welcome a little bit. Yeah, that was this was a thing like I didn't really like this album that much as a, as a kid. I like it a little more now, but yeah, it's it's not as strong as what's coming next. My least favorite. I'm going to go with. Uh, white boys can't control it because i can't remember how the song goes even thinking about it right now. <laughs> and i just listened to this record like a couple days ago so that that tells you tells you something one thing that always entertained me about this album and you did mention it but i just want to reiterate it and stress it a little bit emi actually paid them to record the demos for this they actually got paid to record these demos and then emi said no thanks we don't we're not interested so they just took them to version and then they had the career that they did i think that's awesome it's, awesome. it's wonderful and you guys know what emi stands for right <laughs> there are multiple what which what, what one's this every mistake imaginable there you <laughs> go good one <laughs> so yeah uh, to bring this one home kissing to be clever cool way to kick off the career uh but better things were definitely on the horizon and also just real quick got a comment on this classic cover you know with boy george uh, being the, you know the the face of the band essentially like there's no other band members on this album cover no. uh, like there would be on the next uh, next three records mm-hmm. so yeah I, I once asked my dad about about this album you know because like I, I mentioned it was so out of place in his collection he was like well I didn't think that was actually the singer I just thought that was who who they picked for the album <laughs> cover because he didn't see the the music videos for many years because you know rural north dakota so he he thought it was just a band that had like an interesting person on their album covers mm-hmm. yeah and very that. and very famously here in the u.s that that do you really want to hurt me single was released with just a a white sleeve like there was no picture on that on that because really? they didn't want yeah they didn't want people to know what the band looked like well played well played that's kind of that's a very uh Kind of reminds me of like what Twisted Sister used to do with like keeping the lights off for the first half of the song and then revealing themselves. Very cool. All right. Well, that album comes out. It has hits. Uh, they're kind of rushed back in the studio, I'm sure, after a little touring to follow up. And we get October 10th, 1983, what I consider to be one of the best albums of the 1980s, hands down, Color by Numbers.
the best Culture Club album to me. Uh, it's the perfect pop record. It's one of the best albums of the 80s. And to me, it, st- it still sounds really fresh today. Every song on the album could have been a single and done well, I think. It feels more like a band album, too. Like, I feel like you hear more guitar. You hear more bass. Uh, you know, like on, Miss, like on Miss Me Blind, Roy really gets to, like, go to town on the guitar for a little bit. You get some good bass grooves on stuff like Mr. Man and Stormkeeper. And then John, of course, rock solid behind the drums. And George just slay in the vocals on this one man victims still just like in gets me right in my heart like i remember being like a little kid well not like a little, little kid you know like in junior high and like having a little bit of heartbreak over my crush and listening to that song just mm-hmm. over and over again you know why would you love me type thing <laughs> so yeah uh, victims is just Shine in your eyes when they kiss and tell Strange places we never see But you're always there Like a ghost in my dream And I keep on telling you Please don't do the things you do When you do those things Pull my puppet strings Have the strangers fight for you We love and we never tell What places our hearts in the wishing well Love leads us into the stream And it's sink or swim Like it's always been And I keep on loving you It's the only thing to do When the angel sings There are greater things Can I give them Take a ride into unknown pleasure Feel like a child on a dark night Wishing there was some kind of heaven That's going to be my pick for the album. I just love that song so much. And I also got to shout out Black Money. I always thought that was a cool cool tune back from like watching that uh, Kiss Across the Ocean concert. Uh, of course, you got Karma Chameleon on here. One of their, probably their biggest song, the most well-known song. And funnily enough, uh, was a song that the rest of the band didn't like. George bought it in and all of them kind of started to mock it. Uh, and then it becomes their biggest hit. So go figure. Yeah. So Brian, what do you think of Color by Numbers? Color by Numbers is everything you just said it is. It's easily in the top three albums of the 1980s. I still put it on today and I don't want to skip a single song. Just a, a great record. Peaked at number two. Once again, they're held off from the pole position. Do you know what kept it from hitting number one on the album chart? Was it Thriller? It the was. Footloose soundtrack. It was Thriller. Oh, <laughs> I wondered if Thriller was done by then. Okay. It's, yep. it's 83. Thriller reigns till probably the end of 83. That's true. Right. I thought this was 84. Okay, yeah, of course it was Thriller. My bad. Yep. It still goes four times platinum in the U.S., and it des- deserves that. Yeah, the, there's not I – can't, I can't say a single bad thing about this one. John, what do you think? Um, I can say a couple bad things. I don't know if it's bad. It, <laughs> I don't know that this is my – I would probably rank this album at number one, 
it's not necessarily because I think it's the best, but I think it's the one you would show people if they if you wanted to tell them what Culture Club was about. I would probably rank Kissing at four, and I would probably rank this one at one. I feel like Karma Chameleon, the way Brian felt about Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Okay. Um, I That song, I like that song fine, but it's never really done it for me. The harmonica part is cool and interesting as it is, kind of bugs me, grates on me a little bit. Um, if I had to pick a song that's one of my least favorite Culture Club songs, let alone least favorite on this album, it's Black Money. I'm sorry, Alex. I know. <laughs> but Church of the Poison Mind is probably my favorite Culture Club song. And it's one of the best Motown homages ever made. And I think it's a perfect uh, showcase for George's soul, for Helen Terry to come in there and kill it. And just what the band could do. I, uh, I love Church of the Poison Mind. peak in the discography and that was a moment in the show too and when that started like every they played a lot of new stuff before that one man when that drum beat started i think everybody knew oh it's coming it's coming yeah, that, that got <laughs> yeah. everybody dancing again that's a great yeah. great choice john uh brian what would you your pick be for a favorite for, for favorite song oh man that's that's a tough one um because there are songs like you just said church of the poison mind and it's a miracle those songs especially showcase how important Helen Terry is to the band. And I, and I love her singing on those songs. Um, that's sort of one of the first things I think of when I think about those tunes. Um, Karma Chameleon's a big hit, but it's overplayed. And when we covered this album on our podcast, I was reading about how Boy George really, really hates Roy's guitar part behind the verses. And when, when I actually sat and listened to it, it, it is really hokey sounding. What he's playing is, is it, listen to the guitar in the verse. It, it sounds very cheesy. And Boy George claims that, you know, they, like, like Alex said, they would ridicule this song when he sang it to them. He had the melody and he sang it to them. They, they teased it and said it was like a country and Western song and mm-hmm. called him Cowboy George and things like that. So Boy George says, like, I don't think Roy ever really got over the fact that, um, you know, he ridiculed the song, but then it became a big hit. And that's why he tried to sabotage it with that guitar line. So I thought that was funny. Um, oh man, Victims is amazing, but when I was a kid, my favorite song on this, and it had an awesome 12-inch single, too, was um, Miss Me Blind. Miss me, I 
Because it's like, I've always liked dance music and dance 12-inch singles. And Miss Me Blind was like the dance hit on the album. The 12-inch single was a really cool mix that kind of flowed into It's a Miracle and then came back to Miss Me Blind. So I would pick that one as my favorite, I think, just because I have so many good memories of it. And I still love it today. If it's on the radio, I leave it on. Nice. Yeah. Good, good choice. Yeah. And also some iconic videos around this time. I, I always love seeing the video when it comes up for uh, Karma Chameleon with the riverboat and everything and the people walking the plank. I love that one. I, I love Miss Me Blind too. I think that's the one where uh, that's very, uh, I want to say Eastern themed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Very, very cool videos around this time. They were MTV darlings. Yeah. I, I've meant to give one honorable mention to Stormkeeper. And I Ooh. say that specifically because I Mikey's bass on that is incredible. so good. Oh, yeah. So good. And um, I, so anyway, shout out to Mikey on Stormkeeper. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. It wasn't until I became the distinguished gentleman of advanced years that I am now and saw them in concert a few times. It wasn't until then I realized that, that Mikey is the secret weapon of this band. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. He has, he's so smooth. Mm-hmm. He's just a so low energy. You know, think, think of what he could have, <laughs> George always jokes about, you know, he didn't even show up to film the video for, do you really want to hurt me? Um, that's his brother just standing there acting like him. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. He's, <laughs> he's like so unmotivated. Just think of what he could have accomplished if he was had a little motivation. That's wild. That's crazy. There, there could have been two great solo careers coming out of this <laughs> one. Oh, I love it. And it, it, I think it'd be hard to pick a least favorite from this one. Um, I'm going to go with uh, just because, like, again, that's the one I remember the least changing every day. Oh, I love changing every day. It's one of my <laughs> top ones, actually. Wow. Hot take. <laughs> John, that is John, a- what's your, John, what's yours? <laughs> My least favorite is Black Money. I hate Black Money. Okay. <laughs> goes Ryan. on forever. All right. Now, keep in mind, I love all 10 songs on this album. Yeah. I, I love all of them. So you're forcing me to pick one as my least favorite. I actually love this song, but I'm going to, once again, for some reason, join forces with John Lamoureux and say that Black Money would be my least favorite. <laughs> as wow. as a kid i legitimately didn't like to listen to it all the time because i did think it was too long but as a grown-up i think it's a great song and it's one that when you listen to it you'll sing it for like two days it gets stuck in your head it's really really catchy oh yeah that but, is incredible yeah but also i have to insert myself here did you just say for some reason i have to yeah. agree with john i feel like yeah. you have been spending way too much time with craig <laughs> smith because <laughs> you and i used to love each other and we used to you know take 
get a lot of strength from the fact that we felt similarly about things. And now you feel like you have to apologize for agreeing with me. That's well, such a Craig Smith move. No, no, no. My, <laughs> get him out of your life. Bring my, me back. Uh, I'm the one who loves you. My apology oh was my simply God. because I, I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm going to just follow suit with you the, the oh, whole way through okay. this episode. That's what I meant. Okay. Craig uh, has no influence. I mean, I, I, I love Craig and I love uh, uh-huh. goofing around with him, but I also love John Lamarra. Okay, good. I Me said too. nice things about you with uh, Andy on our Smithereens. You episode. did, you did. I know. I, I just, I'm sensing the, the, the Craig Smith snark influencing my relationships with my friends. <laughs> get out, get out of here, Craig Smith snark. Oh man, Brian just made mistake number three. <laughs> the, 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 the show's gonna break up like the man did. <laughs> Oh, uh, nice. I had to do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but color by numbers, essential listening. Uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, listener, if you're going to go check out one record, check out this one. Uh, start here. This is the definitely the jumping in point. And this was the album that made them mega stars all over the world, not just in the U.S. Like they were the biggest. They were one of the biggest bands in the world for a period of time. And it's funny when when you when you think about how long they were like this big, it really wasn't that long, was it? Nope. It was that really was only, me on this. Yeah. It was only a year. And when I think about like, you know, watching stuff like I love the 80s growing up or looking at, you know, compilation CDs that compile music from that time, you'd think they were a lot bigger, a lot longer than they were, but they really weren't. This was kind of a really quick peak. Yeah. Because I totally agree. Because next year, next year, you know. The, the old saying you have a lifetime to write maybe your first two albums but you only have a couple months to write the next one i think is very true because released october 25th so only a year and two days later 1984 just barely a year later we get waking up with the house on fire Steve Levine um, it's a bit of a challenging album I think while George and John hadn't kind of broke up yet you know their relationship was a little volatile um, and I read the band isn't very proud of this one they felt it's a bit rushed and the reviews I write, read of it are generally negative uh, and it's so funny because the war song was a really big hit from what I've read online but it's not held in high regard by anybody in the band anymore like even when I saw them like just a couple of weeks ago George said yeah, I'm not too proud of this one, but I, I'm proud of the message and right before he played it. So it's it's funny that, that, that I slept it that way. I kind of enjoy parts of this album. It's not really perfect by any means, and it's definitely not up to the standards of the previous two. But there's some, when you did, do some digging on here, there's definitely some solid tracks that, you know, live up to the Culture Club name, especially being the one I just referenced, Mistake Number 3. 
I think that's a gorgeous ballad. That's some of George's best vocals. Um, it's very uh, R and B. Like, like I feel like you can almost have a boy band cover that song with those backing vocals. Like, you know, mistake number three. Like, you got one guy taking the lead, and you got the rest of them doing that backing part. So, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I like Crime Time a lot. It's kind of this fun '50s flavored song. It almost feels like a rockabilly tune with that walking bass line. Um, I also like Mannequin. It's a fun pop tune. It feels kind of funky. Great vocals again. And then um, the closing closing song, Hello, Goodbye. Man, Roy really gets to rock out on that one. That guitar is cranked up. And that kind of makes that a really unique song in the Culture Club catalog. Um, I also find the production a little more polished this time around. I think one thing that might have like made this album a little better is they would have swapped out one of the songs with Love is Love, which was featured on the soundtrack around that time, which is a, one of my favorite Culture Club tunes. I love that song. But uh it's definitely one of their weaker records, but when you dig into it and you dig into the right places, I think there's some cool stuff here. What do you guys think? Well, let's have Brian go first, because if I say something and he agrees with me, he's going to apologize. <laughs> That's true. I will. Okay. okay right. First thing, before I say anything, I just want to point out, you said this is, Alex, you said this is one of their weaker albums, but then you listed about six songs in a row that you like. So <laughs> where, where's, where's the statement coming that this is one of their weakest albums? You. I think it in that I'll like, make the I, statement if you give me a few minutes. Just wait. <laughs> the statement's I, coming. I think it's in that like I can admit their album has faults, but there's stuff I enjoy. Like I see the holes in it, but I also see the good the good in it. Like when I listen to it as a whole, like there's definitely moments where I'm like, uh, I'm kind of like, let's get to the next one. Like I don't like skipping songs, but when I think about the songs I do like and when they come on. Like I'm kind of like jazzed up again and I forget about something like the dive. Okay. Dive is one of my favorites on here. <laughs> However, I do think that the, the production and I think George has said the programming on some of these songs just sounds incredibly weak. And that's one of the songs when that, when it starts in the, the very tinny sounding rhythm kicks <laughs> off, you're like, wait a second, this is like real music, but um, I do love that song, but here's, here's my problem with being able to look at this record um, objectively is that this is the first album that came out, the first new album that came out from Culture Club after I became a fan. So I was pumped for this record. And by this point in time, I had like Boy George things all over the wall in my, in my bedroom posters. And I had a review from USA Today for this album up there with it. And they didn't like it either. They thought it was pretty bad, <laughs> but I thought it was great. Now, listening to it now, I know it's not great. I put this as my second to least favorite album overall but i still i still love a lot of it i think war song is a great single an awesome video like if i think of like what's one of the most 80s music videos of all time it would be war song um just has cheesy 80s effects and the the, the war footage and i think boy george looks looks great that his look on this album with the really red hair for some reason i've always dug that oh yeah so, that cover is great yeah. Yeah. Um, Dangerous Man. I always like that because he mentioned my name in it when I, he says Brian in the closet with his master plan. I always thought that was good. <laughs> as a kid. I thought that was cool. Crime Time is is awesome. Kind of a fifth, like you said, 50s sounding kind of kind of song. Unfortunate Thing, I think, is a great song. Unfortunate Thing was supposed to be that it's a miracle of this album, I believe. Um, I think they were trying to replicate that success and it didn't really get a chance. It wasn't a song that was that was released. But I realized that by this point in time, you said 
you know, that they, they only were at the top of their game for like a year. It, it seems like it should have been longer than that, but they really did have like a short career. The weird thing is in that one year, in that short amount of time, they got like five times that they got five years worth of publicity in that one year. They, I mean, they were talked about like in every newspaper entertainment section, every music magazine, because I would try to collect them all back in the day. So I had all these stacks of, of coverage. So I can understand that, you know, people love color by numbers, but we're sort of tired of hearing about boy George all the time. So we're not going to buy this new album. Um, so I sort of understand to a certain degree why this wasn't as successful, but I, I think it's enjoyable. The, the cracks are beginning to show. I think that the problem with this is not so much the band's songwriting, but the way that the music sounds ended up sounding. I don't know if that's the production or the, the programming, whatever they say. I think, you know, they should have spent some more time on it. I wish they had, had been given more time. I'm not sure why it had to be out in one year. Cause I think they could have maybe whipped these songs into better shape. I agree with you that love is love being on the record would have helped it. I think probably love is love. I don't know if, if you know this, um, was that written closer to the color by numbers days than it was to this I'm, album? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. It came out in 84 on that soundtrack as well too. So okay, uh, maybe, maybe it was done in that same session. Like I could see that too. It just sounds so, so different than these songs. And it, it would be great to, it would be great to have that song on this record, but also every other song would then get hurt by it. Cause by way of comparison, they would sound even worse. to agree with Brian because that's so <laughs> lame. Um, no, the only thing I'm going to agree with Brian on is that War Song is great. And um, this album is trash. This al- It is uh, from beginning to end just sounds horrible to me. Um, it, I don't, it's not unlistenable because I like 80s music and it was made in the 80s. And so my ears are attuned to music that sounds like this. I can do it, you know, but um, there is very little to recommend on this album, if you ask me. In fact, re-listening to it to get ready to talk to you, I was thinking, well, because I love the war song, but I I freely admit the lyrics are ridiculous. And so um, if that was not going to be, if that was an unsuccessful first single, what would the first single have been? What should a, what song on this album would sounds like a single you would hear on the radio mistake number three sort of does but that's not a first single that's more like a second or third single when the ballad comes in the only other song i could think of is maybe don't talk about it, it sounds a little bit like a single you might have heard on the radio 
everything else on this album uh, just sounds like homemade weird garbage. I, um, I, I this is easily the worst uh, Culture Club album. There's, I, there's almost nothing I can. And Crime Time is moronic. And <laughs> because here's the deal. The thing we just established is that we love when Culture Club, they do all these different things so well. They do the reggae, they do the world music, they do the Latin rhythms, the R&B, the soul, the funk. Well, here they are trying to do like 80s rockabilly and they suck at it. It is not in their comfort zone at all. So I just think, what an odd, like you had, you felt so strongly about crime time. You had to put that piece of garbage on this album too. Like, it's just embarrassing to me. There you I go. love it. I love. I love. I love your honesty, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, no problem. I, yeah. Who knows? Maybe they were like, "Well, stray cats are big." <laughs> I'm sure. I. That's what a lot of people were thinking. But that song still sucks. Yeah. 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 This is. It's definitely a divisive album, and I. I did want to comment on something you both brought up, and that is the weird ass plunky production. Like I remember hearing some of these songs even when I was growing up, and thinking the synths or the keyboards—they sound like toys. Like that, like at the beginning of War Song, doom, dun, 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 yes. dun, like, like, I'm like, mm-hmm. like, is this real? Like, like Ryan said, is this like supposed to like, this is a demo, right? <laughs> no, this, <laughs> is, this is the final keyboard patch. Okay, great. So yeah, there's it's def- extra. It's extra weird considering how people hate when I use the word organic. So I don't want to say that. Um, there's so much like acoustic and like real instrumentation on that previous album. Yeah. And then you're getting almost none of that on this record. It's such a weird 180. Like I was saying earlier, the production sounds a little chintzy on some of these, unfortunately, even though I like Steve Levine a lot. What did you call it? Homemade garbage music? I probably did. (laughs) He called it trash. He called it trash. I I was just angry. I was was throwing out every bad thing I could think of. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, definitely a divisive album for sure. Uh, my pick is going to be, I'm going to go with Hello Goodbye, just because I like getting to hear Roy rock out a little bit. Hello, hello goodbye, hello, hello goodbye, hello, hello goodbye. what's your pick war song easily and if it isn't going to be war song because that means i have to agree with brian (laughs) then we'll go with don't talk about it
Okay, Brian, what, what song what song am I playing after John talks? Uh, I always hate picking a, um, a a single as my favorite song, but the war song is the best song in this album. If if I can't pick that, I would pick the dive. For some reason, I've always really loved the dive. that's that's a pretty groovy song i remember taking guitar lessons when i was in high school middle school and high school and uh one day after class i said to my instructor really fast i said hey put this tape in and he played the beginning of the song and i said can you just tell me really quickly how to play that and he was like well you know that's not even really a guitar it's it's a keyboard and i'm like oh i thought it was a guitar so he taught me that little riff at the beginning so i always enjoyed playing that one okay nice and for my least favorite i'm gonna go with dangerous man Hey, that's the one with my name in it. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> Again, there are that, almost no wrong answers on this that, album. That, that, question, that by the way. flunky <laughs> keyboard at the beginning. It sounds like someone hitting like a toy xylophone. It does. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Brian, what's your least favorite? All right. My least favorite for most of my young life was Mannequin. I thought that was just a terrible song. Mm. However, as a grown up, I actually think it's kind of fun. It's a fun little tune. So I'm sorry to say this. I'm going to go with mistake number three as my least favorite because Ooh. I've never liked that song. Even when I was at my peak of culture clubness, I could not understand why that was the single. I, I didn't understand who they thought was going to listen to that on the radio. It, I think it peaked at like 33 or something like that. Yeah. I remember the video where Boy George is like part of a big wedding cake and he was yeah, all glittery. Was weird. <laughs> I know it's very strange. Um, so, you know, it was it had the the problem that it wasn't a dance song. Like I said earlier, I love dance music and 12 inch singles. So that was part of my reason for not liking it. But I just thought it was kind of boring. I don't I, I'm with you. I, I, I should insert something. I feel like sometimes when it comes to ballads, not all of them, some of their ballads can get a little ponderous. You get a little long, a little ponderous. To me, Black Money is one of those. This one. That you were talking what's the one only trying to help you uh um, that's the way yeah, that's that's the way yeah 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 that gets kind of old after a while i just feel like some of their ballads can get really ponderous <clears throat> that's so funny because the ballads are usually some of my favorite songs really but again, and that's, that's true for a lot of people i think that's because for me at least like i said i'm such a fan of george's voice and i studied yeah. vo i studied voice that, that he really shines on those songs but yeah. like, I, I do agree with you like, I love that's the way from a vocal standpoint, but it does go on a little too long. <laughs> well, and when they do them right, like victims, they're, they're, 
incredible. But oh, yeah. sometimes they, it's like they always shoot for victims and they come up short. And when they come up short, they really miss the mark to me. Hey, Alex, as someone who studied voice, you, I just heard you say that. Do you hear like a drastic difference in the quality of his singing voice on this album and the one right before it? Yes, I do think, I think he's almost on, on Waking Up With A House On Fire. He's trying to sound more manly in a way. Like, like, I, I, like, it, like he always has a bit of like a floaty upper head voice to the way he sings, which, you know, it resonates in his face. He's very good at that. But he kind of loses that a little bit and like lets it resonate here a little more on that, that album. And what's funny is the drugs hadn't even taken over yet. You know, we'll get to it in a second. Like the voice definitely changes on the next record uh, for sure. But on this one, uh, it's, it seems more like a conscious decision on this album to sing differently. Yeah, I tried to find this. I tried to find evidence of this uh, this past week, but I couldn't. But I, I distinctly remember that I had on my little in my little culture club article collection when I was a kid, an article that where he talked about taking voice lessons between the second and the third album. Interesting. And, and then that's why his singing sounded so different. He was saying, you know, how he's, he's so much stronger at this point. And uh, I remember thinking that I could hear it when I first put that album in and, and gave it a listen. I thought he sounded quite different. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know that it ever sounded quite the same again. It always, it's always sounded good. Like even at his work, like his worst, like substance abuse wise, I think he still had a good voice. Um, but it he definitely did stop using a lot of that head voice and kind of like res resonated in a bit of a lower part of his body. So yeah, that that did change. Yeah, good good ear on catching that. I never really thought of that before, but yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, um, and someone I also like you know as long as we're talking about his voice, um, it's definitely changed over the years. It's way different now. I think he actually, I could be misremembering, but I swear he hurt his vocal cords doing drugs in the 2000s. And that's why he sounds the way he does now. Right. You would have to think that's what yeah. happened. Yeah. He has found a way to compensate very well. Some of the songs are definitely a new key now, mm -hmm. but man, when he did Victims, when I saw, saw him, it almost brought me to tears. It was so good. Good. Like, so. There's a DVD. There's a live DVD from the early 2000s. I think it's like live at Albert Hall or something yep. like that. That's the one. I think he sounds terrible. And I bought that DVD and I, I never got through it. And I sold it on eBay because I, I didn't want to hear him sing like that. And the difference from that time to fast forward 10 years to the way he's singing now, I love his voice now so much. And I, I always describe it as um, his voice is like film noir because it just sounds so smoky and and dark and like a, a nightclub like a film noir nightclub the way he sings things now i, I could just listen to him sing anything at this point he, he sounds so good and it, but it is so different like you said alex they can't do a lot of those songs in the original key with his his new voice but i think it still sounds great yeah he's found a way to compensate and he doesn't like lesser singers would try to either sing in the original key or to sing more like they did in the past and he's not doing that he's smart enough to know better so I, I give him major kudos for that yeah yeah for sure uh, to put waking up with the house on fire to bed definitely uh, a low point in their catalog but i in my opinion at least there's some fascinating stuff if you dig around maybe pick out your favorites but like don't check that one out first i definitely agree with you guys there can i tell you one last thing about this album alex yes go right ahead i, I, I think you'll i think you'll get a kick out of it based on on your your love of the uh Hard rock. I remember at the time, David Lee Roth 
frontman of Van Halen at the time was being interviewed and somebody asked him about Boy George. And his response was, well, if Boy George is waking up with the house on fire, you can bet that I'm the one who said it. (laughs) (laughs) Classic Dave. Classic Dave. For sure. But that album comes out. Does, eh, I mean, it went platinum, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't setting the world on fire, you know, pun intended. (laughs) So there's a two-year gap between that album and the next one. In that gap, you know, George and John, you know, they had a relationship, you know, an intimate relationship. And it's always kind of been fraught. They fought a lot from what I've read. And uh, that kind of informed a lot of the songwriting. And they finally split off. And that kind of sent George into a very dark place where he started using drugs, namely heroin. And I think that was a big factor in why this next album took so long. Uh, The album I'm referencing came out March 30th, 1986, From Luxury to Heartache. by Arif Madrin and Lou Hahn. Um, Arif Martin. Arif Martin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, John. Uh, it's a very different Culture Club album. It's very heavy on the synths and the keys. Lots of programmed drums. Lots of synth bass. No horns that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I've read it was an attempt to freshen up the band's sound, but to me it makes it feel like less of a band album and more like a Boy George solo record. Um, and I read, like, like I was kind of getting at, like the production took so long, like uh, George would miss sessions and the vocals would be, it'd be hard to get a good take. And it actually got to a point where uh, uh, Arif said, you know, like, you know, I'm done. I've got other stuff to do. You know, Lou, you, you finish this up. And he left it to the engineer to finish up, finish the album and get the final vocals. And apparently it was really hard to get them. Um, all that to say, his voice sounds it sounds good on the album, but it's not the best it's ever sounded. You can, if you listen closely, you can kind of hear the cracks in his voice. Um, not to the extent that you would hear on his first solo album, Sold, but you can really hear the cracks in, in his voice here. Move Away was a big hit. And to me, that's a Stone Cold Culture Club classic. I absolutely adore that song. It's one of my favorites of theirs. I, I can't lie there. Um, other than that, uh, this album, doesn't give me much to say. I kind of feel more about it the way you guys feel about waking up with the house on fire. I don't think there's any glaringly bad songs. There's just a lot that aren't memorable. Um, if I had to pick some other highlights, I like Come Clean a lot. I think that's a pretty cool ballad. And then Work On Me Baby is a good dance tune. And I also put Reasons Down as a song I like. Uh, but 
definitely a polarizing and kind of overlooked release from luxury, luxury to heartache and also kind of George toning down his look there on the cover. Uh, John, what do you think of from luxury to heartache? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think it's an unsuccessful record for what they were probably trying to do. Arif Martin is on the Mount Rushmore of music legends when it comes to production and arranging. And his career goes back to like the 50s. And it starts out with jazz and strings. And then in the he becomes the person who makes people like Aretha Franklin a star and wow. Wilson Pickett a star. And uh, he's huge. And around, and what's interesting to me is around this time, he was having kind of a resurgence in the 80s with certain people because he produced the Shaka Khan album that had I Feel For You on it. Oh, which, wow. Yes, he produced that. And that kind of ushered in, that was a big deal in R&B. Big deal. And so, and then a year later, he produced the Scritti Politi album, Cupid and Psyche which was a huge album. It wasn't huge necessarily. I mean, it had a big hit on it, so it sold pretty well. But both those albums were new versions of music that had already existed. A new kind of, R of R&B and a new kind of dance, synthy, um, you know, pop music. And so everybody wanted a piece of Arif Martin at that point. And I'm sure that's what was going through Boy George's head and the rest of the bands. Let's get one of the people who is putting, who is putting his signature on the really revolutionary forward-thinking pop music that's coming out today. And unfortunately, I just don't think it really worked. I don't think the songs were there. I don't know that I'm blaming Arif or the band. It's just, uh, I think we've established that the band was largely out of interesting ideas, at least in terms of good pop music at this time. And this album just doesn't, it doesn't recapture anything. It sort of keeps the, the losing streak going. I would have it second to last. I think House on Fire is worse. Um, only because House of Fire should have been better. I would probably still listen to House on Fire before I would listen to this one. But it's more disappointing. Whereas this one just sounds like a, a band trying new things and not doing it very well. Interesting. Brian, what do you think? Firstly, I got to say, John, you didn't mention Arif's greatest credit, in my opinion. He's the guy who took the Bee Gees from albums yes. like life in a tin can and things like that. Those ballad albums to Mr. Natural and main course. So he sort of brought oh, wow. about a second career for the Bee Gees. I skipped over that part. I meant to go through the different chapters of his career, the big ones. And you're right. The Bee Gees is part of that. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know that at the time. Um, Cause I just got to the Bee Gees in the past four years or so, but I can see now why he would be someone that, you know, they might think could help rege regenerate or re mm -hmm. re-energize the culture club's career. Um, this album is very different than the three that we've talked about previously, but for me, this is a great one because synthesizers is what I was all about in the eighties. And even to this day, I, I will always take a synthesizer over a guitar. So the fact that they wanted to put more synths and synth bass on here is a plus for me. I think that all of these songs are pretty, pretty good, except for one that, that I really dislike a lot. Um, move away is indeed a stone cold classic that that can sit right next to miss me blind and karma chameleon and, and hold its own. And I'm glad that that's one that they still do in concert because um, it, it does deserve to, to be remembered. Um, had, that one had a really good 12 inch mix as well uh, back in the day. This was I, I, another one, another album that I think probably could have been better received if it wasn't for 
the publicity because waking up with a house on fire, I think that was hurt because people were just tired of hearing about Boy George. This album came out and everything that you heard in the news was Boy George is a drug addict and he was denying it. And then you'd see photos where he obviously was out of his mind. And I remember this being a very bad, sad time for me as a kid because I was so excited that the album came out. It had been two years, so I was happy to have New Culture Club music. And they were talking about touring the U.S. And I was excited because I might get to see them. That tour ultimately gets scrapped. Most of the publicity for the album gets scrapped. They cancel some singles because of all the dumb things that Boy George is doing at the time. So it, it should have been a happy occurrence, but by the end of the cycle... It's just something that everybody, I think, wants to go, have it go away and just forget about it, which is too bad because I like a lot of the songs on here. Well said. Yeah, this was something I think it was it had they had great hopes for it, but just everything was stacked against it. The press was stacked against it. George's state was stacked against it. Like, you know, the, the music scene even maybe might have been a little stacked against it because of overexposure, like you said. And just that perfect storm, you know, it, it felt like a house of cards. Uh, it sold very poorly and the, the band broke up. Uh, they didn't really want to be around each other. Um, I, I, I will say this. It's fascinating to hear some of the songs on this album just because I wasn't, this is one I, my dad didn't have on cassette. So I had no idea. Like I heard the full thing for the first time this year. All I knew was move away. Um, so when I put it on, it was, it was really kind of fascinating to hear this album that kind of sounded more like OMD or, uh, maybe even Pet Shop Boys is a good, good comparison. Mm. Just all those bubbly, you know, bass lines and burbling synths. Like I really was not expecting that, but yeah, it's, it's a different one. Not one of my favorites and probably honestly at the bottom of my list because of the unmemorable songs, but yeah. This is a time period where they did some really crazy things to promote it. They did the craziest thing that they ever did in my opinion. Maybe you remember this, John. Alex, you're way too young, but um, <laughs> they appeared, Boy George appeared on the A-Team, the TV show, the A-Team. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because there was like, I, I, I don't really remember it. There was like a, a concert that was supposed to happen by an artist named Cowboy George or something like that. And they, mis <laughs> they mistakenly booked Boy George. Uh, so he was playing at this like really redneck place full of cowboys and things like that. And I, I think over the course of the episode, we saw Boy George and Culture Club perform Karma Chameleon. And God Thank You, Woman. They let him have a song from this album. Interesting. Yep. So he went on a little adventure with Mr. T and uh, Dirk Benedict. <laughs> Wild. I never watched that show, but I remember when that happened. That was the one episode I watched. Yeah. I need to see the footage. I'm sure it's on YouTube. That's got to be mm -hmm. hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. I think uh, just to do favorites, most favorites real quick. My favorite, I'm going to go... Um, I feel like we all may pick the same song. I'm going to go with Move Away. That's yeah. my favorite. Don't ask me why Move, move, 
I'm going to I'm going to pick a different one. Oh, OK. Ooh, Brian, I, I do love Move Away, but I have an insane amount of love, a crazy amount of love for the song Gusto Blusto. which was the, the second single here in the U.S., and it didn't even make the top 100. But I have the 7-inch single, and I have the 12-inch single, and I've always thought that was a great song. Oh, wait, I don't, th- I, don't, I don't think I have a 12-inch single, I have, but I definitely have a 7-inch. Wild. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then- well, let me uh, – so get this. I was also going to pick Gusto Blusto believe it or not, oh, but for wow. different reasons, for different reasons. To me, honestly, the only good song on this album is Move Away. So uh-huh. everything else after that is sort of my favorite word, a curio. And to me, Gusto Blusto is a bit of a curio because I feel like that song is George straining for the absolute end of his range as a soul singer. Mm-hmm. I feel it's feel like it's a deeply soulful song that somebody like Sam Cooke or Benny King or whatever would have had tried to tackle back in their heyday. And here's George trying to do it. George is an excellent soul singer. And I feel like this song is just, it's right on that line of him doing it well and him stretching too far and not quite getting there. And so that's why I think this song is interesting. I don't know that I think it's great, but I think it's interesting to check out. I did read that that was one of the hardest vocals to get done was Gusto Gusto. It doesn't surprise It sounds like it would be. Yeah. Yeah, he said... He said it took days for him to record that one and reasons were the two that he really remembered taking multiple days. And one of the cool things when he was talking about that, he said that in his book, Take It Like a Man, he said that Arif um, worked harder with him than anybody had ever done, like in his recording career, and that he was a really nice guy. And he said he, he never got angry with me. And he said I was a disaster, but he, he I respected him because of him being so kind to me and because of his history of working with so many great bands. And the fact that he treated me so kindly when anybody else would have just lost their cool with me. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. A good, a good producer. I think what was the, what's the good producer is sometimes coach, sympathetic ear, uh, you know, therapist, therapist, dictator, you know, all those yeah. things, you know, whatever they need. Right? Yep. Exactly. So yeah. Least favorite. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with heaven's children. 
that's my least favorite song. Again, George again, really dislikes that one. He said it's <laughs> like a watered down version. I forget what it was what it was originally called. They had a song. It's whatever it was originally called is in the lyric right now, but I, I can't think of it. But he said, I don't know if it was a reef or who, but they they forced them to change it. And he said they we just turned it into like a, a wimpy song. Yeah, and it's it's very unmemorable. That that's like the biggest crime to me. Like it just leaves no impression. Mm-hmm. You got you guys have any picks for least favorite? Go ahead, Bry. All right, my least favorite by a long shot is the last song of the album, Sexuality. Mm. I would not disagree. That's a that's not a good one. Um, my least favorite is probably also sexuality. And, um, but this is interesting. I'm curious to know why on Brian's, first of all, I agree with you, Alex. I think if I'm honest about it, heaven's children is probably worse, but here's the deal. And I'm, I hope, I hope I don't get canceled or anything for saying this. There are some people who, as much as we've all established that we love boy, George, we love him. I don't necessarily want to think or listen to songs about boy george's boy george being sexual and that is in no way an, a gay thing at all i don't care about that at all um it's just he's not he doesn't strike me as a very sexual guy i'm sure he is but it doesn't turn me on and so hearing a song that's blatantly sexuality from a guy who uh, it, it'd be like Donny Osmond singing about sexuality or, or <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's probably the wrong pick, but there's just certain people. It's like, I don't, eh. uh, Neil Finn is one of my favorite Paul McCartney, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Do you want Paul McCartney to like sing you a song called sexuality that you can like get down to? I don't, I don't want to think about him like that, you know? And so this is just, it's a song that uh, I don't, I like songs about sexuality. I just don't necessarily want them from boy George. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I never really thought about it like, like that. And now that I think about it, I can't think of too many culture club songs that kind of have that vibe. There's a lot of love songs, but there's, yeah. not, there's not a lot of, you know, you know, sexual, sexual songs like that. Yeah. I, I would say just go listen to Sexuality by Prince. You'll be a lot happier. Yeah. Brian, what's your thinking? What's your reasoning? My problem with that song is I would, I think, is that I had the 12 inch for move away before the album came out and sexuality was the B side. And it, that remix is seriously 10 minutes, 25 seconds, I think. (laughs) So the, (laughs) so for the first month of me listening to it, it was that long. And I was like, Oh my God, it does not deserve to be this long. (laughs) So that was my problem with it. I am so glad. I am so glad I never ventured past track 10 on my CD because it's on here. Uh, track 13 is sexuality, the extended mix. So, Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, You can avoid that one. Listen to the move, listen to the move away extended version though. That's pretty good. All right. I'll give that, I'll give that one a try. I think, I think to bring this one home, definitely. I'm going to use John's word. This is a curio in their catalog. If you're curious of what would happen if culture club became a synth pop band, you know, maybe give this a listen, but again, much like waking up with the house on fire, not a starter album. Don't start there. Move, move away is a classic, but yeah, probably in my opinion, at least their weakest effort. And from here, the band splits up and we kind of enter the, the wilderness, you could say. Um, I couldn't really find much about what all the other members were doing, but we know Boy George goes solo. Um, he does various different solo projects. The first one uh, was Sold. Um, uh, was the name of his first solo album. It had a hit with the cover of Bread's Everything I Own, 
Um, I'm a fan of that cover. Uh, they played, Me too. Culture Club played it live when I saw them, and I thought it was fantastic. that one and i do like that album quite a bit too i think his voice is kind of in rough repair at mm-hmm. points on that album like track nine was kind of like i listened to that record for the first time this week and track nine was jarring how low he's singing it's it's insane um yeah uh, oh yeah next time yeah that's a that's a weird one for sure and then then george kind of moves into the house dance music in the early 90s with jesus loves you and that martyr mantra things it definitely moves away from being three minute pop songs and being more like with a beat, just a beat that you can dance to. Um, kind of have mixed feelings on some of that stuff. I like some of it because one CD I had growing up was uh, the uh, At Worst, The Best of the Culture Club. Mm-hmm. And there's like four songs from that era on there. And they're the single edits. And I kind of like those versions of those songs. Mm-hmm. But that album as a whole, The Martyr Mantras, it's kind of it's shaky to me. Uh, I do like Bow Down Mister. That was a bit of a hit in the UK. to Bangalore, all the Hindus know the score. If you wanna live some more, hare hare hare. If you do not take the vow, you can eat the sacred cow. You'll get karma anyhow. Hare hare hare. Bow down, Mister. Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. Bow down, Mister. We say Radisha. With your hands, lay down on the pleasing sands, whatever else your faith demands. Hare, hare, hare. From Bombay to Rajasthan, Nitago, Radisham, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram. Hare, hare, hare. Bow down, mister. Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. Bow down, mister. We say Radisham. Bow down, mister. But other than that, that one's kind of meh. And then George has a big hit uh, with The Crying Game uh, from the movie soundtrack of the same name. 
uh, gave him his first U.S. hit since Move Away, and that was a huge, huge song. Um, I think that's another one of his best vocals. It's such a such a cool, floaty, like floaty piece. And I think he uh, he collaborated with uh, the Pet Shop Boys on that one. Right. Um, very cool. touch on was a uh, cheapness and beauty is a glam rock flavored solo album he would release so good around his uh autobiography um i heard that for the first time this week too and i loved it uh, a lot of cool songs on there uh the closing track is heartbreaking uh so people if you're going to listen to it prepare for some tears uh but that's kind of you know just a quick overview of the, those solo years were you guys fans of that stuff did you keep up with them then or did you guys kind of fall off as things kind of you know went downhill I definitely fell off. And even talking about it now, none of those albums really do much for me. Obviously, oh, Brian wow. is showing off that he was still on the Boy George train very much so. But <laughs> yeah, none of those out. Cheapness and Beauty is kind of interesting. Um, but in general, none of those were. I did love the song, The Crying Game. But none of his solo albums were good enough for me to bother buying or keeping or staying on. All right. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Uh, I really enjoyed Sold when it came out. Listening to it now, it doesn't quite hold up. Even against like Waking Up with House on Fire, I probably would pick Waking Up with House on Fire, but there are some good songs on it. Um, he had two albums, one called Tense Nervous Headache or something like that. That's it, and, Tense Nervous Headache. And one called Boyfriend, I think. Yep. And they got combined into one album here in the US called Hi Hat. And that's pretty skippable. Um, Boy George's New Jack Swing, if you're curious, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Martyr, Martyr Mantras, I, I never listened to other than that song, No Clause 28. I love that song. I think that's a really good one. And um, Cheapness and Beauty is the high point of his career uh, as a solo artist. I think so many good songs on that. Another beautiful song on that one is the song If I Could Fly, which I yep. think is super emotional. I get I get choked up. If I, if I sing along with it and focus on the words that I'm saying, I always get choked up. So I have to be careful when that plays. Stone by the river, got no wind in my sails, no revolutions in my soul. Hey, revelations just a moment away, soon I'm gonna be old, soon I'm gonna be old. 
sueño con adiós Remember love is not something you can keep It just takes the wind to blow it away You look so ugly as you lie there asleep Oh, you're pretty today So pretty today When I was born They poisoned my mind They told me to fight But I'm not that kind They said I was mean I did not mind It's a case of the way Leading the blind But, you know, regardless of how much I Oh, and then um, this is what I do I like that album a lot but ha- like half too. of it is reggae, so of course I like right. it. I'm, maybe you don't as much. I don't know. Yeah, I like the songs that that aren't Art reggae. Yeah, okay. um, the King of Everything is an amazing single. That's one he wrote oh, with yeah. Mikey. He wrote that with Mikey Craig. Uh, so that was cool for the two of them to work together, and it resulted in a great song. He does a really good cover of a Yoko Ono song, mm-hmm. The Death of Samantha, which yeah. blew my mind when I realized that was a Yoko Ono song. Um, so his solo career is always interesting, even if it's not always super solid. So, and one last thing, real, um, I, I had a smash hits magazine in England. They had no in England. They had smash hits here in America. We had star hits. I had a star hits magazine back in like 86 or 87 that had a one page picture of John Moss and some other guy. And they were, and it was the lyrics to a song and the band was called heartbeat UK. Really? Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard the song, but I remember the picture. So John evidently did try to have a solo career after Culture Club. I guess it just didn't last very long. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to hunt that down. Well, adding that to my uh, research list for sure. No kidding. Brian bringing the heat. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, yeah. man. Yeah. The, your, your research is impeccable. Um, so, yeah, Boy George had a, definitely had an interesting solo career. We're going to touch on this is what I do because I feel like that's key to something that's coming later. Um, okay. But after all that, um, as we, I think we might have mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, behind the music becomes a thing, and the band gets a bit of a resurgence. Um, so they start by putting out a single in 1998, uh, "I Just Want to Be Loved," and that you know did pretty okay in the UK at least. Um, I'm not sure how it did in the US. It ended up on a hits comp over here called Greatest Moments. It didn't but, do uh, anything. Radio, radio didn't play it. Didn't even make the top 100. <sighs> so painful, uh, but. They, that was kind of them testing the water, I think. And then on November 22nd, 1999, we get probably the album that surprised me the most, uh, Culture Club, Don't Mind If I Do. Like to pick up my life last Frank Yeah. Gonna sweet up the area for all and Dangerous lover with the blue green eyes. into the room He's got trouble on his mind Maybe you're misunderstood So come and lie here by my side Cause you love it hurts so good Every time 
in Japan, the US only got I Just Want to Be Loved on Greatest Moments, but you can get this as an import. Um, this is a very solid reunion album. It feels like the, cult, the classic Culture Club sound progressing. To me, this album could have followed Waking Up With The House On Fire and changed the chorus of this, this band forever. It's a bit long, maybe, but none of the songs are bad. Maybe there's a few that have the same vibe that are too close together, but there is no filler here. Um, I could list endless highlights. Uh, I just want to be loved. Like I said, that was a single. That's a good one. I like Strange Voodoo. Again, that's a cool vocal performance from George. Uh, Maybe I'm a Fool is a really cool tune with that reggae vibe. I like Truth Behind Her Smile. That's a cool acoustic song. Uh, they do the Bowie cover, Starman, and that sounds incredible on here. That's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to call a cover a highlight, but it really is. It's so good. And then my favorite song, um, Your Kisses Are Charity, just reggae it's a reggae country tune it's a reggae song with steel guitar and i love everything about it so cool cool it's catchy um it was at the end of that greatest hit cd that came out in like 2006 uh when they were doing uh like those reissues and stuff and that that was where i heard it first and i loved that song so, so much and then getting to hear it again when i got this cd this year just made me so so happy because it's been so long since i heard it and there's also fun fact there's an alternate version of that song out there featuring dolly parton on vocals with george so you want to hear them collaborate uh, go check that out but yeah i think this is a great record and I'm going to turn this over to John first because I know he has some very strong feelings on this album. So, John, take it away. Yeah, I do. I well, and you you covered it all really well right there, Alex. I feel like it's the it's the comeback that should have been that wasn't, and I don't understand why. I agree with everything you said. I feel like there are no weak spots on this album. I, I'm going to struggle to pick a least favorite. It is probably four songs too long, but that doesn't mean that there are four songs that suck that I wish weren't there. It just means that it like 70 minutes it's kind of a it's it's you got to really settle in and commit you know you're going to yeah. listen to the whole thing but um 
I feel like this is the album where the their talent and abilities and the production all finally were coming together at the same level at the same time. It's a little more, um, there's a little more heft, a little more power to uh, the production style on this. I, uh, I love this album. Prior to, some days, this one is my favorite because I think it's the most complete. Because as I was saying earlier, I don't feel like there's any weak spots on it. Um, just depends. It's a little long. Other than that, I think it's practically perfect. And that Starman cover is so good. And you know that I, you know that Bowie means so much to George. And you know that that song in particular probably does. Maybe George was one of those people that saw him do Starman on top of the pops and drape his arm around Mick Ronson and this, you know, thing that kind of semi homoerotic way that just you know, felt empowered all these uh, gay kids around the UK wonderfully. Maybe that's what that is, but it, it's perfect for him. He does a great job with reminded me of something i was gonna say actually i think boy george was my david bowie because uh, i didn't really grow up around bowie fans um mm-hmm. so he he to me definitely looked like an alien i didn't know you know what cross-dressing was or drag was yeah. so to see when i saw boy george you know i was like well, who is this alien so that's a yeah. very good comparison yeah right Brian, what do you think of this one this album is fantastic i will put this at my my second favorite after uh, color by numbers which I think we're obligated to say that's the best, but I really do think it's the best. But this is one that it is, it is too late. It's a crazy statement, John, because you're right. It is too long, but I'm fine with it. Like I put it on and I like all these songs Me too. and I listen to it the whole way through, but 15 songs is, is too long for an album. I think every group should stop at 12 just because you can't fit that many on a CD. You don't have to, but, uh, but like I said, I like them all uh, this. It was so great to have them back after it was 13 years and I didn't know. I mean, I had seen the concert in 98 and um, Strange Voodoo and I Just Want to Be Loved were on that VH1 Storyteller CD. So you knew what those songs sounded like. And they're both, you know, one's reggae and um, 
Strange Voodoo is just kind of like a nice mellow groove. And like I've said twice already, I'm a big fan of like their dance songs. So I didn't, I was like, well, I hope, I hope it's not going to all be reggae and mellow. You just get such a good mix on this. I could, it, it could have easily suffered because there's so many different producers on this album. Um, I think they go back, uh, at least one of these songs is, is the guy that you talked with this week. On Steve podcast, Levine. Right? Yep, yeah. See through is Steve Levine's song. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you see that, it's just, you think like, oh, this isn't going to flow. It's going to suffer from that. But I think it helps that the songs are just, you know, Culture Club has always been a mixed bag of sounds and influences. And the one song doesn't sound anything like the song before it. So it all works. And it's it's one of their best albums. And I think it's, it's a great celebration of things, of things Culture Club. And I wish it could have done a lot better for them because they certainly deserved it. Yeah, this is one album I'm always wondering. I wondered for a long time until I pulled the trigger on that expensive copy on eBay finally this year. Like I'm like, this will get reissued, right? Right? <laughs> right? And then, yeah. by the, and then I'm just finally like, I, w- I was overweighting it. I was like, I want to hear this record, so I bought it. And watch now. I'm, ne- next year we'll get something something cool, maybe from Rhino or something like you know, the, the Lost Culture Club album. <laughs> I found my copy used at a Goodwill. Really? Yeah. Wow. I bought it for like two bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, $22.99. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, this, yeah. Is what, this is what we do. That's it's right. Worth, uh, it's worth 22 bucks, though. It is. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I, I did not regret what I paid for it. It was just that kept me from pulling the trigger for a really long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So my favorite, I'm going to, like I said, Your Kisses Are Charity, just a perfect, unique culture club song. One foot in the past, one foot in the future. That's my pick. Brian, what's your favorite? My very favorite Culture Club song of all time is on this album. So I'm going to pick that as my my favorite song on the album, of course. And that is Your Kisses Are Charity. That's a fantastic song. And I have the I have the import CD single of that Dolly Parton version that you're talking about. Yeah. It's it's delightful. But I, I, when you listen to it, I don't really know. I don't really know things. I can't tell. But it sounds to me like she just sort of recorded a vocal somewhere and then they, they kind of put them together in in their software or something. It doesn't sound like they're together the way that it is, but it's still awesome. The boy George recorded Dolly Parton. That song peaked at number 25. I checked it this week because I wanted to know, I knew it had been a single since I have it. And I was like, man, that that must've been a great song, easily top 10. And I was shocked to see it was only 25. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with you guys. Uh, I like your kisses or charity. I, I might wow. pick, I just want to be loved. I, and it's not even that it's my favorite, but I love, I like that when you put on this album out of the gate, you hear a song that reminds you of how great they can be. And, uh, and I'm always a sucker for first tracks. So I might say, I just want to be loved, but it could be anything at any time. Original members of the Quarter Club team with the original by Jazz come back again for the new song vibe 1990. What? Year 2000, I live, see? What? Why, yeah, 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 yeah. Take a picture of tonight and keep it by your heart. Love has left his memories, there's no better way to part I will find another love, someone who won't bring me down How you try to 
Shoulder is so good. I could I yeah. could go with Cold Shoulder as well. I love that song. Absolutely incredible. I've, I've heard people call that the sequel to Victims. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, another. I got. I gotta say another thing. I love about Just Want to Be Loved. I love the intro with the the MC kind of being like you know original Culture Club. You know, and he and he says the year. I don't know. Why, right. just, every time I hear that, I get really <laughs> happy. Like, oh yeah, something good's coming, and then it just. <laughs> so yeah, good choice. Uh, least favorite's going to be really hard here. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm picking this one is because um, it's that thing I was talking about with like too many similar sounding songs close together. Um, I like Fat Cat, but if it were a B-side, I wouldn't be sad. Uh, yeah. Ryan, what's, Ryan, what's your least favorite? Man, I'm shocked to hear you say that. I, I was actually going to say something about how great I thought Fat Cat was and ask you guys what you thought about it. I um, like Fat Cat. I think that's a really good song. There's also too. it's just yeah. There's also this solo album uh, called "You Can Never Be Too Straight," which is sort of like acoustic versions of some new songs and then songs from his old albums. And he does like an acoustic version of "Fat Cat." That's a really good version too. Um, but if I had to pick a least favorite, I guess I would pick "Confidence Trick" because it's kind of near the end and uh, isn't too exciting. So, but I mean, I like it fine. But that's what I would say if I had to pick one. John, what about you? Um, I, I was going to say either confidence trick or maybe even less than perfect, but mm. for the same reasons that Brian says, not because they're my least favorite songs, but because they're near the end. And by that yeah. point, it's been a long ride anyway. And so like less than perfect is six and a half minutes long. It's beautiful, but just let Starman be the end. And we don't need another six and a half minute song on top of this album. That's already over an hour. Um, but that's not, that's not an indictment of the song at all. Yeah. They're all great. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think this album could have benefited like fr- from some cuts. And then like, if they would have had, if, if history would have been different, they could have been on a follow-up record that could have occurred. But mm-hmm. we all know that didn't happen. Uh, they, they, they toured for this record and uh, it was kind of pretty much on and off for years after that. I know Boy George did his musical Taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that concert you mentioned, Brian, uh, at Royal Albert Hall, I think it was. Right. The live DVD. They did that 20 year show, but it was kind of, you know, Culture Club was like together and they weren't like, it was like one offs. I think you could say for a while after that. In fact, uh, at one point, I, there was even talk of replacing George, which is, you know, crazy to me. Like, that's just one singer, you know, you, you just can't do that. Like, he's so much of their sound and their look. You know, like, I just can't imagine some other guy up there singing songs. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, that would have that would have been very weird. Uh, but to kind of wrap, just put this album to bed. You know, this is one I recommend checking out. Go to Color by Numbers first, and then go get this one because you you won't be disappointed. Uh, just a glut of riches here, an absolute glut of riches. Ten out of ten album. 
um, mm-hmm. and probably my number two favorite. Uh, but yeah, so we, we go into the wilderness a bit. Um, George has some has some issues, unfortunately, that like with drugs. I think he relapses, and then he, he's very well known. Like another new story I remember is him picking up trash in New York for getting caught with yeah. drugs, mm-hmm. and then there was the imprisonment thing. But like like the phoenix he is, he rose from the ashes again. And I wanted to touch on, even though we're not going to go as deep on it as we go with these Culture Club albums, this is what I do. That solo album from 2013, I felt like that was really kind of establishing him, him reestablishing himself as the superstar he is. Uh, he lost weight. Uh, his look looked mm-hmm. a little different. He had facial hair to his look and, and maybe the makeup was a little more mm-hmm. played down a bit. Uh, but it was so, mm-hmm. it was so cool. And that album kind of has a lot of, like you said, a lot of reggae on it, but reggae was a big part of Culture Club sound. And I feel like that record was a good setup for what, what comes next, even though we're not going to go as deep. Did you get, were you guys fans of that record when it came out? Uh, did you check it out like you wanted, when it was released or just, was that something you kind of went, went back to? I'll, I'll go first. I did. I, um, I remember I didn't buy it until later. I also found that one used in a Goodwill somewhere for a couple of bucks, but I, um, wow. I streamed it immediately and I thought it was really strong. It is hard to hear his voice not be what it once was. It's pretty gritty and scratchy on there, but it's okay it's because it works well with kind of the laid back vibe of the reggae. And he looks fantastic. Like you said, he's lost a lot of weight. He looks so, I remember seeing him on the Queen Latifah talk show, daytime talk show when this came out and he, did a cooking segment with her. I think he may have been on Atkins or something at the time because he may, I can't remember what he made. It was like a salad or when they make pasta, but it's not out of pasta. It's out of the inside of the vegetable squash or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He became a vegetarian. That's what it was. Okay. So yeah, he did a segment on something he makes now that he's a vegetarian and going back to what we said, he was so funny and so delightful and, and uh, fun for the women watching that show and stuff like that. But yeah, I thought it was a really strong album. Absolutely. And then I can't. Oh, wait, please... Brian. Right, yeah, what do you. I, I think I cut you off. What did you have to say yeah, about yeah, that one? Yeah, Brian, please talk about this one. This is like a, a very pretentious statement. I think I feel kind of bad saying this because it just sounds weird. But I, w- I was so proud of Boy George when this came out because I remember that the day that the video was, the first video was going to premiere king of everything and that's the name he he went through this period where man i can't even imagine the embarrassment where he's arrested for chaining like a sex worker to the wall he's photographed picking up trash from a street in a prison jumpsuit he at that point in time he was very overweight looked very bloated and unhealthy and he, he lived through all that and he comes back with a song called king of everything the video he looks fantastic his performance is intercut with scenes of a boxing match. Like he's taken on the world, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, I love that he put all that behind him and he got himself into good, not just good shape physically, but good shape mentally. Um, he talks about how meditation and vegetarianism helped him get centered and, and realize what a, uh, a waste he had made of his life for so many years. And, and he, he realized I've got to do what I do. And this is what I do. So that's why the album was called that. And uh, I still remember watching that video the first day and I got the album the day it came out and I was all in from, from the beginning. I was just so happy that he was back. Me too. Yeah. I remember a similar feeling like, like 
like it's a good good word you're proud of like you know your musical heroes for like you know you know ri rising again like I, I i wondered like there was i don't know if you guys remember this but they there was a version of behind the music called like behind the music remastered or revived or something that aired for a period and they did one on culture club and boy george um right before he lost all the weight and stuff and it was after mm -hmm. his arrest and i kind of remember he he's interviewed at the end of that he's still a bit bigger but you know he's just kind of talking about how he just kind of wants to get back to doing music and it shows footage of him performing in this tiny little club singing this song called amazing grace and then it kind of like goes quiet for a while and then that but when that video came out it was just like wow he really did do what he set out to do so yeah props to you, you man Put down the booze, let the demons win the fight I Drop my gloves to the ground You know I'm sorry for the times I made you cry I made an art of letting you down Used to say it's only me I'm hurting but I saw you on the The kid was crying and the dogs were howling And a siren filled the air What's the word on the street? Have I lost my crown? Or will I be king again? What's the word on the street? Have I lost my crown? Will I be king of everything? Um, yep. Then we get something even cooler. We get a reunited culture club. Um, and they start touring again. They start playing shows. And then they decide they're going to make an album in 2015. It was going to be called Tribes. I remember the Pledge Music campaign. I remember getting ready to donate to it. And uh, Tribes never happened. Uh, the sessions kind of imploded. Uh, the bet, like just arguments again, surfacing. Like there's a documentary about it on YouTube if you guys wanna check it out. It's called From Karma to Calamity. It's a BBC documentary. It's really mm -hmm. interesting. Um, but uh, that kind of imploded. Um, and, I, and when that imploded, I was like, oh, I don't know that we're gonna get an album now because there was a live record that came out called Live at Wembley. And there were some unreleased songs that appeared on there. So I was like, okay, well, maybe they're not gonna try and push the, this too hard. But then uh, in 2018, we got the first single, Let Somebody Love You. And that really, really perked up my interest. I was like, okay, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be a great record. And then on October 26, 2018, Boy George and Culture Club, as the album is billed, released Life. <laughs> Oh, God. 
produced by Future Cat and John Tim. To me, this is such a good album. I don't know that it's quite as good as Don't Mind If I Do, but it's just under it. It's just loaded with absolutely killer songs, top-notch songwriting. They sound fresh while continuing to retain that reggae influence from the past. Uh, George is in fine voice on here. I think God in Love is kind of this cool, moody opener. Um, Let Somebody Love You, like I said, a great first single. Um, I love the funky, different man with the horns, you know, that kind of make, makes me think of I'll Tumble For You. And just some absolutely incredible ballads on here. Oil and Water, love that song. And then Life, to me, that's, out of everything is George has done one of his best vocals ever. It's one of the best love songs he's ever written. Um, I love that song so much. Uh, that, that one is another one that like we were talking about, you know, that could move me to tears. It's just so, so beautiful. It's a song about, you know, loving yourself and someone making you realize, someone making you realize you can love yourself. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. This is a, I think it's an overlooked album too. Like, I don't know that again, this one got the best push it did. It was definitely available in the US, but I don't remember seeing a ton of promo for it. I don't remember seeing like, you know, a ton of TV for it, like TV appearances or anything. Like it just kind of came out and I didn't hear a lot of fuss about it. But uh, for me, it was one of the best albums that came out that year. And it's a record I still play quite a bit. Uh, love this one. Uh, John, what do you think of Life? I really love it. Um, I will confess, I don't know that I listened to it until, pri until getting ready to do this. I think I might have played it once when it first came out and forgot to go back to it. I love it because I feel like this is what, when I just said that Don't Mind If I Do would be even better if it lost a few tracks, this is an album that's as good as Don't Mind If I Do with about four fewer tracks on it. So it's perfect that way, you know? Um, I, I feel the same way. It's an updated sound, but it still sounds like Culture Club. And... Um, I remember the last time when I saw him with the B-52s and Tom Bailey, he played a few songs. They, they played a few songs off of this. And um, there's, yeah, again, there's just no dip in quality. And you would think there should be, but there's not. So I would put Life near the top two. I mean, yep. I think Life and Don't Mind If I Do are stronger albums than uh, Color By Numbers. And Life might be the strongest just because it's 11 solid tracks with no filler you know it's the right length it's the right uh, everything so it might be my favorite culture club album it's close it's up there hot hot take of the evening wow i know i know it's up there i love it i love it brian what do you think of this one looking at this track listing i suddenly suddenly remember that i saw culture club four times at the beginning of the show i said three i actually saw them four times i saw them at this weird show at a casino about an hour and a half away from my house at three o'clock in the afternoon or four in the afternoon. Yeah. He, he came out making jokes that he's not normally even awake at this point in time. And, and I don't, they never said why the concert was at that weird time, but it was. And when we saw him, it was before this album came out, but they did um, resting bitch face and nice. they did runaway train and runaway tra train was really country. It was, it didn't sound at all like it doesn't on this album. And I thought it was great. I was like, oh my God, that's like a country song, but I still love it. And um, Resting Bitch Face, I remember telling somebody, well, Culture Club doesn't by any stretch of the imagination do heavy metal, but that is Culture Club's heavy metal song. Because I, I, I swear the version that they played, Roy's guitar was much, much harder than it is on, on the album 
version of it. And I, I was so excited because those two songs sounded so great to me. I couldn't wait for this album. Um, so I agree with you guys. I think this is up there amongst the best. Uh, John, you said you said something that made me think that like looking at these these two records, they probably are better than Color by Numbers, but Color by Numbers just has so much positive right. baggage from the '80s and and so many huge singles. It's hard to look at it objectively, but yeah. every, everything that you guys said about this is is true. It, it's like a an improved version of the previous album simply by select, uh, cutting down a few things. There is one song I, I would cut off that I really don't like that I never listened to, but um, I really do dig the fact I'm a huge fan of Robbie Williams. And I think that the song more than silence totally sounds like a Robbie Williams song. That's like culture clubs version of, of Robbie Williams. And, you know, at this point in time, I guess, why would someone be trying to sound like Robbie Williams? Cause he's, he's not the chart force that he was, but you know, I guess it was written a couple years cause it, a couple years earlier, it was part of that um, Tribes mm. album back at that because they did release that song from Tribes. That was the one song that got released. Mm. So there is like an original version of More Than Silence that you can compare to this one. So, but that's another reason why I like it. I really like that song. Mm. And uh, Alex, your life is a beautiful song. That's a great way to end the album. And if Culture Club never releases another studio album, that's a fantastic song to have as your last studio offering. You guys know if John played on these songs? Because I know this was kind of a hodgepodge of some solo stuff, boy, boy ad, George ad, and some band things. But did John play on it? He's credited in the booklet, and his picture is okay. Okay. in the CD. Good. So I, unless the credits are false, he played yeah. on the album. Okay. I wasn't sure if he stuck around for this one. I, I do remember after it came out when they announced the tour that it was announced pretty quickly that John wouldn't be part of it. Mm. Okay. So it, it was it was a pretty swift turnaround there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, make a reunion album and then then lose one of the, the founding members. So <laughs> classic culture club move, really. It is just it classic is. culture club move. I uh, don't have my. Oh, yes, I do have my glasses. Uh, I can't really read this too well, but I think I remember that in terms of songwriting credits, he really doesn't show up ever, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking really That's quickly here. That's something George said in that documentary, by the way, the, when they were working on Tribes, he said something to the effect of he regretted, you know, the four-way split they did originally in the 80s where everybody got 25%. He's like, mm -hmm. I, he's like I write most of these songs, I should get at least 50. So mm -hmm. he, said, he said something to the effect of, like, you know, like when we work out these splits, you know, I'm going to go for most of them. So that, that makes yeah. sense, that tracks. I remember That's interesting that. because most of the bands that do the equal split thing prefer it. The REMs and the U2s and stuff like that. Most yeah. of that's what keeps these bands together for so long. He might right. say that, but if he took the lion's share of the royalties, chances are those guys would be less incentivized to stick or stick around him for so long. Right, because it's it's more of a thing to lose the royalties to Karma Chameleon than, than it is to lose the royalties to Resting Bitch Face. I mean, as as, <laughs> as good as good as good as that song is, yeah. as good as that song is, you know. Mm -hmm. that Looking at the credit, it looks like John gets songwriting credits on about half of them. The the he said that comment in the uh, documentary, the BBC documentary, the yep. chameleon to calamity. Um, I remember him saying that, and it's it is kind of a weird statement because I have always understood. I think he's even said this on on Twitter that he is a songwriter who writes vocal melodies and lyrics to bits of music that are given to him. Like Boy George doesn't sit down with a guitar and write out chords. Um, so for him to claim that he deserves 50% of the song is kind of, it kind of strikes, strikes me as, as strange because 
what would he be doing if if you know if Roy didn't hand him some chords to sing along to first? Because that was in in the book Take It Like a Man. That's something he points out. It used to annoy him when they would argue in the studio. He would say he would offer his opinion, and if it was a, an opinion going against what Roy wanted, Roy would say, "Oh, shut up! You don't even know what key this song is in." Makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. Well, in watching that documentary, you get you very much get the sense that while while George and Mikey and Roy can they can tolerate each other, like they, they can be civil. Uh, the the George the George and John Moss relationship is very tense, and sure. when you put all four of them together, it gets even more tense. Yeah. Uh, that said, when I saw them a couple weeks ago, um, they all seem to be really friendly and excited about this new music they're working on. Um, George even like you know praising Roy for this new arrangement they did of uh, do you really want to hurt me so you know, you know like mm. old like they're, they're, they're like any old couple really you know mm -hmm. you fight you know. but yeah this this is a solid solid statement of an album and mm -hmm. criminally overlooked like if you're a culture club fan listening and you've heard the old stuff but you haven't heard this go get it it's it's pretty easy to get you know Amazon uh, eBay Spotify if you're a streamer uh, go get this record. It's worth checking out for sure. Um, my favorite, I'm going to go with Life. It's my pick from this one. There's a train at the station that's ready to leave And a perfect future just made for me I let this stranger walk into my life Stepped out of the darkness back into the light I know I'm crazy, but just a little sane I get to take this ride again You give me hope when I wake up my head high and take what's mine we look for laughter in the madness you give me hope and you give me life will you let me breathe brian what's your pick before i reveal my pick let me just ask you this new arrangement of do you really want to hurt me that you just uh, mentioned from the concert how was it I enjoyed it. It was a, uh, it was very slow. It was very booty. Like imagine if the whole song was the vibe of that that acapella intro. Very slow, very gentle. No drums, and it it was kind of funny to watch the audience react to it because a lot of them were waiting for like the, bap bap, yeah, and that it never came. It never exploded like that. It was very airy, very torch like. John, uh, not John, uh, Roy wasn't even on guitar for that one. He was on keys. So it was a very, uh, very different arrangement. It was one of two rearrangements they did. And I think both the rearrangements were really well. The other was the war song. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the one that they do where they like stop and start. They basically stripped all the synths off the war song and played it as more of a band piece. And I thought oh, that, okay. worked, that worked really well. Okay, sorry. So I think you asked me uh, my favorite hey, song. What's your favorite song from life? Um, my favorite song is More Than Silence because it is 
really exceptional, but very, very close behind it is Bad Blood. I think that's an awesome song. Nice. Watching you play your favorite song Shutters down, headphones on I want the world to know my pain You play a cold game Wounded soul by poor tears I whisper your name so no one hears I let you mirror all I feel I play a slow game I could give what's your favorite well my favorite because i've been streaming it on spotify i don't think this song is on the hard copy cd but on spotify the last song is another version of runaway train that features gladys knight interesting and yes and she's a legend she's fantastic and hearing her sing with them makes that one they played that song when i saw them live too and it's good it's fine um didn't knock my socks off or anything but with putting her voice on there with them makes it really stand out. And so that's probably my pick for, for favorite song. like a record store day release or something like was that. It? it was some sort of limited single that you could get on vinyl for a while mm. that's cool that they have it on spotify though i didn't know that yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to hunt that audio down for sure because that that sounds amazing and then least favorite again like the last record it's really hard um i'm gonna go with what does sorry mean um 
there's a lot of ballads on this album, even for me. So I'm going to go with what does sorry mean. It's kind of, it's kind of like a song. It reminds me of what's that song on This Is What I Do. Um, it's easy. It kind of reminds me of It's Easy on This Is What I Do. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go with what does sorry mean is my least favorite. Uh, Brian, what's your least favorite? My least favorite, the song I never listen to, I hit skip every time is Human Zoo. I just think it's really boring. I don't like the bass. I don't like anything about it. I don't know what my problem is, but I've had to sit through it twice in concert, and I, I would rather hear, do you really want to hurt me? Yep. <laughs> Good old Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be uh, interested to know if you hear this new arrangement, what you think of it. Yeah, I'm going to look for it on YouTube. Uh, John, what's your least favorite? It's so funny because I had a feeling Brian was going to pick Human Zoo. I just didn't know. <laughs> um, I actually don't mind Human Zoo. I don't. Uh, this is another one where I don't really have a least favorite. I like the. I, it's an album that I enjoy putting on start to finish. I probably will pick. You guys might get mad. I'll probably pick Resting Bitch Face. Oh no! Not, not because I don't like the song. I just think naming a song resting bitch face is a little gimmicky and um anytime a song ventures too much on a gimmick or a novelty or a joke or like a timeliness it'd be like calling a song you know cell phone or uh tiktok or what you know whatever i just it's it it's a it it's it anchors a song to a moment of time and um in a moment of pop pop culture time, which moves pop culture moves so fast now that I just think, don't you don't need to do that. It, rest, calling something resting bitch face isn't going to be very funny in like two years, you know. So mm-hmm. don't don't do it. But anyway, I still think it's a great song. But that would be my pick. Though. That's a good point, though. Yep, valid, very valid. Yep, like I said, people, your homework. Go check this one out if you haven't heard it. It's great listening. And that brings us to present day. Uh, we are down a drummer. Uh, John is no longer in the band. Um, they've been touring since this album came out. And uh, recently they started playing a lot of new material. So I feel like there's probably a new album in the works. And from what I've heard live, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, there's a song called uh, Drop the Needle that they played that I really love. It's called, it's, it's Classic Culture Club. And it's just basically about, you know, drop the needle on the vinyl because you love the music. I thought that was such a cool lyric. It's a very good song. And I cannot wait for, like, you know, these songs to be released officially because I, I thought, it, I think they're so cool. And I also love the ballsiness of the band to put something like seven new songs in their set list that people haven't heard yet at the start of their tour after two years of COVID. That, that takes some balls. So that's pretty wild. That? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, seven that would be a songs. little tough. Yeah, there were definitely moments where I was like, I don't know this, but it's mm-hmm. good. It's good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and there, there, there were moments when I could tell even George was kind, kind of like, you know, you know, get into it, dance. And the audience is kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to go get beer mm-hmm. <laughs> or wine at the show. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of bring this all home, what do you think keeps you guys coming back to this band? I know for me, it's the songwriting, the great songs, that great voice of Boy George, the diversity of styles. I think all that makes for a really good mix and it keeps me coming back. Uh, what, what is it for you, John? Uh, it's everything you said. And it's the fact that the majority of those original hits still sound great. Um, 
not all of them do I love, like we just established. I mean, I'm not a big Karma Chameleon fan or whatever, but I don't hate that song. And so there's this, there's a nostalgia factor that's really nice. It takes you back to your youth and the songs still sound fresh. You don't have, they're not guilty pleasures. They're not, um, they're not silly. They, they still sound great. And because these guys have put out two really fantastic albums in the last 23 years, only two, but because they're two among their two best, I'm still interested. And now that they're touring out there, I mean, there's no reason not to go see them, you know, unless seven new songs at the beginning of a show scares you, which I could understand, but um, <laughs> it's a great show. You know, I've seen them twice and they're, and it's really satisfying. I agree. And just, just to clarify for people out there, they were mixed in pretty, pretty evenly, but yeah, they opened with a new one and then it pretty much went hit new song, hit new song for a while. Oh, okay. So, That's not so bad. Yeah. I was imagining seven straight new Ooh, songs. No. The one and only time I've, I've only seen Depeche Mode once, which makes me sad and probably makes Brian really sad too. But oh, when sorry. I did, um, they did this section in the middle. It was the Exciter tour. And oh, the, I love and that record. I do too, but everyone left and Martin did like five songs in a row uh, off the new album just by himself. And that got a little tiresome you know um nothing against them but it's just it, it's kind of a, a momentum killer something must have been going on because normally martin just does two songs right in the middle i've never uh, seen, never known him to do five so something must have been happening maybe memory is not serving me re- well but it felt like four or five i mm. that's how i've always remembered it yeah. yeah i'm not saying you're wrong yeah. also rest in peace andy fletcher yeah oh yeah gosh. do we know yet what happened no, mm-hmm. no, no official cause of death. So, okay. yeah, but some someday I would like to do more Depeche Mode content. So, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have I'll have both of you back for that. Uh, you got to have Brian back because he's the professor of Depeche Mode. <laughs> and if you want to hear somebody say that they haven't done anything good in thirty years, you can have me back. Wow! <laughs> Even though they're one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh. But let's be honest about it. There's nothing essential in there in the last thirty years. Uh, before. Wow. before 25, before, 25. Before I turn it over to Brian, I'll just say spirit was a little rough. Spirit was a little rough. Yeah. Um, and with that, Brian, uh, what, what keeps you coming back to Culture Club? I remember back in the day when I was obsessed with them and I was 13 or whatever, Newsweek and Time were, you know, calling them like the, the they were leading the new British invasion. And the fab four because there were four of them so all these allusions to the beatles and i remember my dad who's like i said he's the one that got me into them he started seeing this kind of press and he he sort of turned against them and he would tell me poor george isn't going to be around in 30 years the beatles are you know you're still going to be listening to the beatles in 30 years but culture club is not going to be around and uh so i heard that for so long and then boy george went through so many trying times where it seemed like well he's not going to be around so I'm delighted that they are still around and I'm delighted that their last two albums are so strong because I think that, you know, when you think about the eighties, you don't always think about high quality songwriting. You think about the novelty of synthesizers and sampling and over the top production. And you do all these tricks to make the songs popular. But if you take the song and play it on acoustic guitar, there's nothing to it. I think that time has proven that that's not the case with culture club. I think they are talented songwriters and that is part of the reason why I keep coming back to them after all this time. And the other reason is just Boy George, because he's a delightful person. 
uh, when he's not totally off the rails. And you guys have both mentioned in instances today where you saw him being interviewed and he was just so entertaining and so personable and so funny. And uh, it's part of that, that personality too. the music, the talent, the great voice and he himself. Absolutely. Culture club. We definitely salute you uh, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I'm, I'm happy to call you both my friends and I love doing shows like this where we can just nerd out about the music we love. So I guess, I guess to bring it all home, uh, it's time to do plugs. Uh, I'm going to let Brian go first since he's, he's a new guest on the podcast. Talk about your podcast, permanent record podcast. Oh, thanks. So our podcast is called permanent record podcast. It's that's our URL to www.permanentrecordpodcast.com. And we talk about some of the great albums from the new wave era, the eighties. We talk about culture club and Depeche mode and, Petro Boys bands that have all come up today. That's the kind of stuff that we talk about and um, try to have some fun while we do it. Nice. Nice. All the bands I'm kind of just now getting into, except for Culture Club. Um, I'm just now kind of starting my synth pop phase. So uh, yeah, Welcome. I, I, I may yep. lean on you, to, you for recommendations. Uh, you, you and John. Uh, John, awesome. talk, talk about the hustle. Um, well, first of all, let me say that permanent record is essential listening. If you like or care about 80s new wave at all then you have to listen to permanent record um i yeah for sure i do a the hustle is a weekly rock star interview podcast and uh i try to cover all genres i try to cover most decades mostly 70s 80s and 90s anything newer than that i'm not that interested but um i just want to hear fun rock and roll stories and get to know these people and let them know that I care and um, find out how they make a living. And yeah, that's what I do. Been doing it for a few years. It's a great show. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I got to ask you, as long as we're on the subject of synth pop and stuff, you just did a very cool interview that I'm very excited to hear. Uh, can you tell us anything about the Howard Jones episode that's coming up? Yeah, um, th- that was a, he was a, uh, a white whale for me. I have been trying to get Howard Jones for as long as I've been doing the show, which is like seven years. And um, it, there's a long story to this, but his PR rep does not like me very much. And, <laughs> no. Yeah. And so she and I have gotten into it a couple of times. And so she's always kept him at arm's length and said, you know, oh, he's too busy to talk to you. But then I would hear him on other people's, all my friends' podcasts. He'll go talk to Eric Miller or Steve Cooper but he, or Noel Fogelman, but he won't come talk to me. So anyway, um, it finally worked out. He has a new album coming out. It got bumped. Uh, it's going to be out in the beginning of September. And so my interview with him probably won't be out until August or near, um, near around the time of the, of that, um, the release of that album, but he's one of my all-time favorites and he's going to be here next week on my birthday. And I, the lady who doesn't like me got me free tickets. So yeah. And she also handles the fix and the fix are going to be here this weekend. And she got me free tickets to that one too. So maybe we're on the mend. Yeah, you won her over. Nice. I think I did. I that's awesome. And well, that congrats me- on congrats on that interview. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And that gives me plenty of time to play catch up because at this point, I've only heard the second album that he put out, and I really I like it. that one. But go the first one's the best, I think. I like the first one a lot. Awesome. And just a random curio of his, I checked out just because it popped up in my suggestions. I love his cover of International Geographical Year. I think that's really cool. Of what? I don't know if I even know this one. The the Donald Fagan song, you know. What a beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, I G Y. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, yes, I know it. Yeah. Yes, 
that that was a bonus track on his greatest hits album. Um, and at the time, I remember thinking, why is Howard covering Steely Dan? But now, as he matured throughout the the end of the '80s into the early '90s, his sound wasn't just synth pop anymore, and it made a lot of sense why he would cover a Steely Dan song. Nice, yeah. guys. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll definitely do this again, and next time maybe we'll talk about Depeche Mode. And I'll just let John and Brian fight it out, and I'll just be here with a tub of popcorn, <laughs> just. Watch, <laughs> watching them duke it out over playing the angel <laughs> actually playing the angel is one of the better better albums of the last few years when you said nothing of value was in the last 25 years that's what i would have said to you yeah, i would have yeah. said even playing the angel no i just it was easier to make a blanket statement but what you would what you would hear is a person who loves them more than most other bands disappointed that they have done so little of true value in the last 25 years but <laughs> I still love them. There's your sneak peek, oh. folks. There it is. <laughs> Until next time, I'm the Sly Dog. Peace, love, hope, and life. There's a train at the station that's ready to leave. And a perfect future just made for me I let this stranger walk into my life Stepped out of the darkness back into the light I know I'm crazy but just a little sane I get to take this ride again you give me hope when I wake up to lift my head high and take what's mine. We look for laughter in the madness. You give me hope and you give me life. Will you let me breathe now? While I find my truth If I love myself Don't mean I don't love you All of my chances Are in my hand Stepped out of the darkness Found out who I am I know I'm crazy But just a little sane I get to take this ride again You give me hope When I wake up To lift my head high And take what's mine We look for laughter In the madness You give me hope And you give me I'm lost in you.
When I'm under the water, when I'm under the water, I look to you. You know I do. I look to you, and the water has gone. You give me hope when I wake up to lift my head high and take what's mine. We look for laughter in the madness. You give me hope And you give me Thank you for listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.